Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. Welcome to the number one BYU sports live stream talk show in the entire world. We're excited. We're in the middle of November. There's only two college football Saturdays left. It's crazy to me. The regular the season. Yeah. Basketball's firing up and... And we're just gonna we're just gonna keep marching forward. And congratulations to Neil Jones for the first to hit the chat. Hey, you win! Way to go, Neil, from Tucson, first to hit the chat. <laughs> and then BYU sports addicts always right up there in the top three. Sorry, to hit the you're chat. second so, place tonight, Farmington. Doctor Catch in the house from Vegas. We appreciate you all. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Um, we'll put the link in the chat so you you know uh, where to go there. Hit the subscribe button; it's free. We're also live on Facebook, Twitch, and YSGuys.com. YSGuys.com. Deweyville, Utah, is with us. Bobby, good evening. There you go. And and hey, on the YSGuys.com, if you haven't subscribed there, make sure that you do, because then you get our weekly email. Um, and that has highlights from the show, all of the past interviews, including Steve Young, Riazman, Sherry Do, all of that stuff is there um, if you subscribe at ysguys.com. Most importantly, anytime you go live, you get a little reminder that we're going live. If, if, if we're, um, you know, if you forgot, it's going to be especially important when we move to Monday nights in December yeah, for yeah. you to be reminded, all of you, a, a few times that we're going to be up on Monday nights. Linda is in from Denver. Linda, welcome to the Wise Guys. Before hey, we tease how the about, show. How about Jess from, from the Marriott Center parking lot? Go okay. women's basketball. That's right. They're coming up. <laughs> At uh, 7 o'clock here, local time tonight against Utah Valley. Uh, our big announcement, Blaine hinted about it a moment ago. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, but we're getting close. December 4th, two weeks. That's right. Maybe it's three weeks. We're going to Monday nights. Same time, same place, Facebook, Twitch, uh, YouTube, wiseguys.com. Monday nights from 6 to 8 Mountain Time because Big 12 basketball is taking over Tuesday nights, and we're calling most of those games. That's right. So... Monday night for Wise Guys, and Tuesday is going to be a big night for Big 12 basketball. And you were like, I checked my calendar, my trusty calendar. There are two more Tuesday night shows. So okay. next Tuesday the 21st and Tuesday the 28th. After that, we're Monday. it goes to Mondays, December 4th. So two more shows after this one on Tuesday. And then everybody sets your calendars for Monday night starting on the 4th of it's December. It's like moving your clocks back. Just move your day back. Yep, exactly. And uh, please... And let your friends know and everybody else. And, and there's a and lot less going us. on Monday. You know what? And Monday's I think, good for us. What a family home evening activity to gather around and with, just watch with the, the show. wise guys. Exactly. <laughs> that's 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 free entertainment. We will not provide the refreshments. Although you know what, down the line maybe we might. We, will. we might. So tonight we've got a loaded show. BYU and Oklahoma playing on Saturday. Max Hall is going to join us. The quarterback who beat the Sooners. Uh, 14 to 13 back in 2009. We're going to ask him about that final play and uh, and how it all went down yep. uh, to find uh, McKay Jacobson in the back of the end zone. But the big plays before that that got him down the field against the number three Sooners. Yeah, I, I was looking back at that and like, yeah, I want to ask Max about that whole drive because there were some big time plays in that drive. We all remember the the touchdown pass, but there, that was an amazing drive to win that football game. Um uh, we're going to talk about BYU and Iowa State. Um, we have some sound from Kalani from the press conference this week. Another disappointing loss. And hey, Steve, Stephen Marks, 
Don't don't quit yet, Stephen. Yeah, what's he's, going he's, on up he's there in to, Olympia? He's come to grips that, that the BYU's not going. There's two games left, Stephen. Come on, the pride of Olympia, Washington. Steve. Come on, Just hang with us. Let's so, see what happens. <laughs> and then um, NCAA soccer second round versus USC. We'll talk about that. Wally Joyner's going to be with us. Uh, one of the greatest BYU baseball players in history, and boy, does he have some stories. We're going to enjoy here a bit later on in the show. And a, uh, looking and a, forward to Wally. And a phenom in Major League Baseball, oh, which yeah. is really, really fun. I remember those days well. And how about BYU hoops? What did we learn from Friday night's game against number 17, San Diego State? I learned some stuff. You yeah. and I talked about it. At, we talked about it during the game, but you and I talked afterwards about some things that I took away here after an exhibition in two, two games. Um, I'm... I'm bullish on this team um, for for a couple of reasons that I didn't think I would be bullish on this team. It's still gonna, it's still a huge task in that league. But we'll talk about some of those things uh, that we we take away from three games now. Really, and we're on the call tomorrow night. Southeastern Louisiana is at the Marriott Center, and uh, That's right. we'll have it at uh, seven o'clock Mountain Time on ESPN Plus. All right, our headlines, and there's a lot. So let's start with Iowa State, and already we we can feel some of the pain from. The live streamers, uh, yeah, it was tough. Cyclones won it 45 to 13. They averaged just under 24 points a game coming in. And then they uh, they had a big night, and BYU didn't. Jake Ritz left 10 of 27. He threw two picks, only 104 yards, had six yards at halftime. We wondered if that had ever happened before in the history of we, BYU football. We just kept looking and, and going through our notes to try to find if BYU's ever thrown for And you know what? We were giving um, Dave Nixon a hard time because remember the 3-0 game in the snow against Utah? Yeah, yeah. We're like, it's one thing to not score against uh, Iowa State, but to... To lose three to nothing to Utah, we told him that was worse. That was that was worse. Uh, <laughs> yes, Red Slav. I hope you 17. all think that was worse. Which is worse, <laughs> losing to Iowa State forty-five thirteen or losing to Utah in the snow three, three zip. zip? So, so Red Slav rushed seventeen times. He's not afraid to move it around. Maybe sometimes he does it a little too quickly. Picked up sixty-four yards. But the positive story coming out of that game was Isaac Rex. And his big catch that he waited his whole life to make. And we all made a concerted effort to not mention it on this show, the record, not mention it on any of our BYU TV shows, uh, because we felt like at some point we were we were the problem. That because we kept mentioning the record that we were jinxing him and he couldn't get the record. So we said nothing all week, and it worked. He, he caught his 23, 23rd career touchdown pass. That's a record for tight ends. He passes Gordon Hudson into the record books. That's an amazing... because. Think about the tight ends that have come through this program over the years. The Including his dad. Yeah, Byer, it's, it, it is an amazing accomplishment. And now hopefully the lid's off the basket. And in these next two games, he can – he can, uh, and he caught more balls. Hey, right? they threw to him three times in a row on that drive, on that which drive. was more than they've thrown to him in the last three games. Yeah, it, it was good to see him more involved. And, and Isaac needs to be involved in these next two games. And the tight ends need to be involved in this offense a lot more moving forward. So – uh, BYU with just three touchdowns in the last three and a half games. Yeah, that's not good. No, that's, that doesn't that's how get you it. lose it three straight. Way too much pressure on your defense, and and you know forty five thirteen in this one. I'll I'll keep coming back to this. And defense did not play well this last these last two weeks. But if BYU can match some scores for a while, let's say BYU scores 28 in this game. And I think you need to average 30-plus a game to compete in this league. And I've been saying that since before the season. It's a different league. If you can't score 30, you will not win in this league with very few exceptions, right? Let's just say BYU went out and scored 28. Iowa State doesn't get 45 if BYU scores 28. 
First of all, because BYU, that would probably mean to score 28 that they don't turn it over the first two times they have the ball. I mean, think about that. You start this game off and you spot them 10. This is not a new story. You spot them 10 points with how you lose all these games with a fumbled kickoff and 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 an interception on the first offensive play from scrimmage. And next thing you know, Iowa State has a 10 point lead and they have literally 30 yards of total offense and 10 points. It's and then then you just kind of see the whole collective psyche of this team go, oh man, like here, here we go again, here we go again. Um, and and the, they climbed back in it. Defense made some plays, and they got back to ten to seven. And you thought maybe they have a chance, but it, it's hard to overcome that. The concerning thing is Jonathan Ashcroft from Henderson, Nevada, says, "Hey guys, what's up? Good to have you here. We love the Southern Nevada Cougar fans." I th- the concerning thing is, it's you're right. They got to score more points. They're not even getting into the red zone. It's not like they're getting in and missing kicks or whatever. They, they. I think they only got in the red zone one time and they scored a touchdown. And this, on this is like multiple weeks in a row. Yeah. When you look at red zone um, uh, numbers, BYU is actually pretty good. When they get into the red zone, they convert. First of all, they have a an unbelievably reliable kicker, so he's not going to miss, right? I feel like he's automatic. Um, and they've had a pretty good touchdown percentage when they get down there. They haven't been getting to the other side of the field and into the red zone no. at all. Moved the ball a little bit, crossed the 50, and, and stall out has been the story offensively. And then, and it feels like um, defensively they they get behind in a game like that. And as we watch the film, and, and, and we want to make sure we talk about this, it's not an effort thing on defense. I don't think it's an effort thing on offense either. But on defense, what we see is – Guys like getting in their own heads about, oh no, here we are behind, the offense isn't going to score, so now I've got to do something extraordinary. And so guys start getting out of their assignment and start running to the football instead of playing their assignment, and and now all of a sudden there's big gaps in the defense, and you, and you, we go back and watch the film, we're, we're fortunate enough that we get to do that for our shows, we get to watch the All-22 yeah. and say... Whoa, what's going on here? And what I'm I'm not seeing is it's not guys not hustling and running and doing all that. It's guys trying to do things that aren't even their assignment. And so let's say it's a backside end or a backside tackle. Ball goes the other way. They're supposed to stay there for the cutback. And in their mind, they must be. I mean, I'm not in their mind, but they've got to be saying to themselves, I've got to get over there. I got to go make a play. We got to go win the game. We got to go force a fumble. We got to go do something. And and they literally run to the football. The running back cuts back, hits that seam where they're not in the gap, and goes 30, 33 yards. And, and and we're all watching from the stands going, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. And when Dave Nixon and I and you go back and watch some of the film, we're like, oh, my goodness, th- here's another. It's it's not effort. It's almost like too it's much effort. It's like execution. Getting out, getting out of yourself and going and trying to make a play on every play instead of doing your job. And it becomes a trust thing where – You've got to trust the guy on the other side to do his job, and you have to do your job. And I know that I know that Kalani's got to go back and focus on that this week. It would really help if there were some leaders on this defense and this offense from the players' perspective that would step up and say to the guys, guys, quit trying to do too much. Do your job. Execute at an unbelievably high level. Trust the guy next to you to do their job and execute at an incredibly high level. And let's have a little bit of fun out there in that execution. I, I think when people, when people say show some fight, 
I think that's tied into the execution. Right. It's not just, hey, you're not trying. But when you say, when, and I wrote an article about it earlier in the week on, in the Deseret News about they, they got to show some fight to beat Mike Tyson. You have to fight him, which means you've got to focus on doing what you train to do. Right. Executing it. And, and then having some attitude and some confidence as opposed to just, I'm just going to go out there and, and, and maybe, maybe he'll take a and, knee. And to me, it's about take some, to me, it's about mindset and pride in what you're doing, like in your craft. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I love your Mike Tyson example. When you say you got to take the fight to Mike Tyson, no, you don't. You don't go run into Mike Tyson with you your sur- face. You survive him, get what, him tired, and what, then you beat what him. What you do is you go, okay, the only way to fight Mike Tyson is to this is the defense I have to play. I have to do it this way. I've got to keep my hands up. I got to jab when he does this. To even stay in the ring with Mike Tyson, you have to execute to perfection to stay yeah. in the ring with Mike, right? It's not about. You're not trying hard enough because guess what? Trying hard against Mike Tyson doesn't do jack. No, but like, if you if you execute, you can beat him. If you don't, you get executed. Right. And That's so, so with Mike, you have to say, I have to know exactly what to expect from him. I know what he does, and I have got to I have got to hone my plan down, and I've got to stay in my plan to perfection. Do you remember when Muhammad Ali was getting toward the end of his career and his skills were fading a little bit and he would look at these really aggressive guys like Joe Frazier and some of these guys, George Foreman in his youth when he would just punch you out with one punch and Muhammad Ali's like, okay, I have to execute. I'm going to do the rope-a-dope now. And so my skills aren't even as good as they are, but I can still win because I'm going to protect myself. They're going to punch themselves out, but I'm going to be exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to leave an opening. I'm going to execute this plan that we have to perfection. And in the end, they'll be worn out. And then I will knock them out and or I, might, I will win. And it might even just be a, a lucky punch like Buster Douglas got yeah. on Mike Tyson. And, and, Shouldn't have won that fight at all, but he hung around. Tyson got tired. Right. And he landed a punch. That's what's got to happen Saturday. Exactly. And so... so to beat Oklahoma, you have to execute to perfection on both sides of the ball. And you have to hope that they don't. You have to hope that if you're in the right spots and you don't give, that they start to take chances and they turn the ball over. Because what happens when you're taking chances and you're not doing, you turn the ball over, you get tight, you give up big runs because people aren't in the right gaps. You don't force fumbles and and, and you don't turn the ball over. Because the way you beat Oklahoma is the way Oklahoma State beat them is, you win the turnover margin battle, and you get some short fields, and you don't give them short fields because they're really skilled on offense. And Oklahoma State had to score late in the game, right. but they were in the game. But they were in the game because guess what they did? <clears throat> they made Oklahoma work for everything they had. They didn't give up big plays over the top. Oklahoma turned the ball over. The offense didn't turn the ball over for Oklahoma State and create problems in short fields, and they didn't give that explosive Oklahoma offense short fields. Next thing you know, they're in the game at the end of the game. Guess what Oklahoma State didn't do the next week? Any of that. They went to Central Florida when they were a huge favorite. And for some reason, they didn't have the focus that they had against Oklahoma. And it wasn't that Oklahoma State wasn't trying, but they turned the ball over a bunch of times. And the weather wasn't great. Right. They started to try to make too many plays, and they lose 45-3 to UCF. This game is about mindset, and it's about execution. And, and sometimes it's about effort. And, and I've, I've had some people come up to me the last couple of days and go, they just weren't even trying. I'm like, well, I watched the film. I beg to differ. I don't think that anybody wasn't trying, but I do think the effort in execution needs to be picked up. And the mindset in the game 
needs to be better about I am going to do my job every single play and stay focused and be where I'm supposed to be. And when the other team is and your team isn't, it just looks horrible. Oh, it looks bad. And, and guess what? Iowa State's physical, and they're and in that game, they were unbelievably disciplined. Yeah, I didn't no see, I didn't see them out of position, and they on the road didn't turn the ball over. Redshirt freshman quarterback, too. Didn't turn the ball over. Yeah. And and so, so to me, when we talk about um, effort, we're talking about effort in preparation and then effort and doing your assignment right in the game, not about, hey, they're not running hard or they're not trying, because that's not happening. They're trying. Let's listen to Kalani Sataki for just a couple of minutes. Here's his thoughts kicking off Oklahoma week, and then we'll talk about the Sooners, and we'll bring in Max Hall and get his take on things as well. This is Kalani from Monday uh, at the football office. New week, uh, so going to our next game and then uh, looking forward to our, the game this weekend. And obviously last weekend didn't go the way we wanted it to, but um, I think we're after watching the film and seeing where we're at, uh, have uh, a lot of excitement for what we can get done this week um, with a quality opponent in Oklahoma, a great, um, great team that's ranked. And, uh, you know, Venables has done a great job with that team. And, and you look at his background, he's had kind of when he was in Clemson, he's had his pick of jobs and he turned down a bunch of jobs. And this is the one that he, he took. And so you can see that the Oklahoma brand, um, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, 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 a, they're a national team and they've had uh, tons of success there in the, the tradition that they have in that program. Um, so they've been around for a long time and at a high level with, in, the, in the P5 level for decades. Um, and so you, you see that what they've done with their program and how well they've been, they've been coached. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're ranked for reason. And, um, but, you know, looking at what they've done in, is, since Venable has been a coach, they, they're, I believe they're 6-6 they're six and six last year. And look at what, what the, the improvement they've made from last year to now being a, a ranked team with a bunch of uh, fantastic players. I mean, they, they could do so many things in all three phases offensively. We're very familiar with the quarterback and the things that he can do uh, with his feet and with his arm, um, very strong arm and physical O-line, great playmakers and skill skill positions and running back and receivers and tight ends. And then defensively strong. I think they have probably the best linebacker in, in, in the country playing from. Kalani Sutaki describing Mike Tyson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this wasn't that. Wasn't that I, was, I was listening to it just going, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the storm that's coming. And, and and this is a big contrast from last week because, remember, we talked about this last week, Iowa State, um, they came in here, and as we watched them on film, we're like, wow, this team is really good defensively, like really physical, really disciplined. They don't give big plays over the top. So really good defensive football team. Offensively, they're good. They're physical. They run the ball. They, you know, now here comes Oklahoma in here, and we're going, holy cow, this is one of the best offenses in the country. Like, they're, they're spreading you out and throwing the ball all over the place. Think Central Florida a couple years ago because it's the same offense. Um, the offensive coordinator for Oklahoma spent a couple of years with Josh Heupel at Central Florida. He left the year right before BYU played them in the bowl game, but Central Florida ran that exact same offense. BYU faced the same offense. And then Josh Heupel, uh, you know you know Josh Heupel. He, yeah. he, he's moved his way around and is now the head coach 
at, at Tennessee, Josh Heupel, an old Mike Leach guy, right? right? And so there's all this Mike Leach influence in college football, old BYU guy. So BYU's seen this offense, but man, do they have athletes to run it. And, and interestingly, Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback, is the quarterback that BYU faced in this offense at Central Florida. But I can tell you the dudes around him are a little different than the dudes around him at Central Florida. And the dudes uh, at BYU are a little different. Yeah, they're BYU not, had seven, seven NFL guys, NFL right? NFL guys in that Boca Raton Bowl. And then uh, Gabriel is now at Oklahoma. A uh, couple of thoughts, uh, BYU sports addict. Finally, we're actually playing good teams. I love that. We should celebrate going against number 14 this week. Awesome. Even if we lose, great to be honored to play at this level. Let's just play well. I think a lot of folks forget that because of Les's comment. Yeah, I love Les's comment. He says, Les, Les uh, Namengas says, a quote about the music industry, but applies to college ball. We're now in a culture, not just a business, but a culture in which we expect everything to happen like snap, like that. And did you notice that Kalani said, um, hey, look at what happened with Oklahoma. They had a down year last year. Didn't go to a bowl game. Because they had a bunch of guys transfer out and new transfers in. Now those transfers are in their second year. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, they're competing at a really, really high level. Um, and what did Vegas say before this year started? The over-under on BYU win this year was 4.5. Something like that. Right, so they've, already, they've surpassed that. Now, I thought they'd get to 7. Um, when they were 5-2, and two, it yeah, looked like, like I, they were going 7 places. was my thought at the beginning of the year. And I said it on, on this show and on every other show that I thought they'd get 7. Um I th- and if I said if they had an unbelievably special season and stayed 100% healthy, could they get to eight? That would be remarkable in yeah. this first year. Um, but but Vegas, who does a lot of research, had him at 4.5 as the over-under on wins and this five year. And 5-2 or two might have been a uh, little fool's goal. Well, because we played the easier teams at the beginning of schedule yeah. in this rough schedule. And, and so it's, yeah, expectations of what it takes. Um, and a lot of these transfers that are in, are back next year. Seven transfers on offense, all starting in their first mm-hmm. year. Maybe we overthought. I, I thought, man, these guys have an immediate impact. But being in a program and part of that um, is also important. And so hopefully these transfers, we're seeing it in basketball. And we're going to talk about basketball later. The transfers that are here in their second year, Jackson Robinson, uh, Workman, having a much bigger impact already here early and look like they belong. Um, the one difference about Oklahoma compared to, to Iowa State. Oklahoma explosive offensively, but defensively, they're good, but they're they're not lights out. They're 88th in the country in pass defense. Their offense goes out, and they throw the football around, and they have short drives, and when they don't score, they, 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 they give it up quickly. When they do score, they score quickly. Um, so 88. They're 104th in sacks a game. They don't get yeah. after the quarterback that much. Um, in first downs allowed, they're 68th in the country. So on the defensive side... You know, Iowa State is a much more stout defense, but very limited offensively. This is a team that is lights out offensively, one of the best in the country offensively. The best offense in the Big 12, for sure, um, with, a, with a dynamic quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. So this is such a contrast from last week's game. It's like the opposite type of team. And yeah. here's, the other, here's the other thing that I think is different, Dave, and maybe this bodes well for BYU. Everyone expected BYU, you know, the odds makers didn't. But I think fans, I think the team felt like, man, this is the game we got to win. This is the team we match up with. We got to win this one because we got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State coming up. Nobody expects BYU to compete this week. 
you think the guys can come in and play free and have some fun and maybe play a little looser and I would hope so. Shock the world? Why not? It's your last home yeah. game. So till uh, August thirty first when Southern Illinois. Yeah, and you got number fourteen. You have one of the biggest names in college football coming into the. You know, just because BYU is five and five, if, if you're not there, I feel bad for you. This is what this is what being in the Big Twelve is is about: is having the Oklahomas and Oklahoma States and you know these big name schools coming in on a week by week basis. Every year. Hey, Doug's on the live stream from the Front Runner Train. Thanks for getting me home. Love having a wonderful show and a couple of fun guys to get me home. Question, why is college football the best sport out there? Now, Wally Joyner will be on with us in a little bit. He may argue that, but college football is the best. I don't know what it is. It's the band. It's the fireworks. It's the pageantry. It's an occasional flyover. It's the colors. It's where you went to school or grew up. And uh, there's so few games compared to the other sports. Every Saturday yeah. matters. It's 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 an event. It's an all day event, and and every game is so important in the in the big scheme of things. So so ten a.m. Uh, ten a.m. Uh, yeah. Mountain Time on ESPN. It's the earliest start at Lavelle Edwards Stadium since two thousand four. Oklahoma's so, earliest start since two thousand two. Yeah, I don't know who it favors. Does it favor the home team to play early in the morning? I don't, I don't know. know. There's no. There's not enough evidence. Yeah, we got to like, collect some evidence. I, I almost would like as as good as. This offense is for Oklahoma, and as speedy as they are, and as much as they throw the football, because this is a passing-based offense, could we have a typhoon of some sort on Saturday? Because <laughs> it might favor us to have it be really, really bad weather with bad footing and like not able to throw the football. That might be to BYU's advantage. As we sit this morning, or tonight, there's a 50% chance can, of some rain on but can Saturday. But can you call your buddy um, uh, Kevin, Kevin up Eubank? and Kevin Eubank what, and have him drum up a storm? Could he dial up some snow? <laughs> For He's, Saturday morning. That you know, he doesn't help. do that. He just reads, reads yeah. the maps and charts. Yeah, Earl Carr says there's no excuse for the stat, but BYU and the losses has been outscored 199-64. to 64. Yeah, that's, and that's ugly. It is, it is ugly. That's, that's big-time football, too. In BYU's losses, they're horrifically bad in turnover margin. We just talked about Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma two weeks ago, and then they went on the road and turned it over four times and lost 45-3. to three. When you play good teams and you turn it over, you're going to get killed. You're not playing UNLV. You're not playing Wyoming. You're not playing New Mexico. You can turn the ball over four times against New Mexico, and you might even win. You turn it over four times against Iowa State, you're getting thumped. You turn it over four times this week against Oklahoma, they're scoring 60. Vegas has uh, Oklahoma a 24.5-point favorite. That's the second-largest home underdog spread in program history. USC, Reggie Bush and those guys, when they were number one, they came in as 26 and a half. Yeah. And they covered. Yeah. <laughs> they were really good. Uh, we, Oklahoma, 24 and a half. We, we always have this discussion at our house because all of the boys played, and my son-in-law played at Stanford when they were number five in the country and won those, run the Rose Bowl. And we get in this argument, well, who played against the best guys? You know, who played against the best guys? And I'll bring up some of my old school guys, and they're like, they just dismiss that. They don't even know who they are. Um, and then... And then Dallas will say, well, I played against uh, John Ross uh, at Washington, who was the fastest man in football, and you know, played against USC with these guys. And, and they, we go down. Kel Gavin, you know, Landon, and they all talk about who they played against. And then Kellen goes, well, we played against USC with Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. And they all go, oh, never mind. You yeah, <laughs> like, like, 
Those guys that USC were, team they was were pros ridiculous. before they were pros. They absolutely covered in Cougar Stadium right? hey, in Lavelle Edwards. Before we bring on Max, let's uh, remind you about game day on Saturday morning, 8 o'clock local time, 8 o'clock mountain game day. We right. fire up from outside Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Uh, two hours leading up to kickoff of BYU and Oklahoma on ESPN. And we, we need you guys watching us because... You know how we talk about the Cougars need to have a better mindset? We're not going to have a good mindset at 8 a.m. if we don't feel like people are <laughs> yeah, watching. Yeah, don't watch the cartoons. Uh, watch Game da- Day. Dave might be trying to do stuff he shouldn't even do. He might be getting out of, you know. It's going to be uh, it's going to be something. We've never even done a show this early. No. Uh, but we're going to do it at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. That's 8 o'clock Mountain, BYU TV, and ESPN+. Plus. Leading up to the Cougars and Sooners with the post-game show back on BYU TV just as soon as it's over. It is our pleasure to welcome back to the Wise Guys, the winningest quarterback in BYU history, who defeated number three Oklahoma to open his senior season in 2009, the great Max Hall. And you got a big playoff game Friday night, right? We do. It's a big game versus uh, the number two team in the state, Basha. So in that open playoff, we got the seventh seed and get to go against the number two Basha team. So they're a good team, but... I'm looking forward to the game. So ALA Queen Creek is eight and two. Bash is nine and one. Uh, how's Ty holding up as a head coach? Is he still letting you? You got the green light to call whatever you want. Ty's a wreck, man. I got to be honest. With you. He's a disaster. <laughs> no, Ty, Ty's doing great, man. It's uh, it's been a fun season with him and and with Enoch, our quarterback, and the team that we've had. Quite honestly, it was a team that we weren't sure about. We were thinking maybe 500. We'll see. And so to end up eight and two in the seventh seed in the opens, uh, pretty cool. So we're having a good time, man. Ty's doing great. Hey, there was a good article on Enoch that involved you and Ty, uh, written by Dick Harmon at Deseret.com. How's he doing? How's he coming along? The kid just seems to get better and better every week, more comfortable with the offense. I've been able to expand things and do uh, some different stuff and put more on his plate. And especially kind of the last two games, he's kind of got off and he's hot right now going into this playoff game. So I like our chances, man, and he's, he's a great kid doing a great job, and hopefully we can finish right. You know, he's always had the physical skills, right? You mentioned that to us before the season even started, and so much of playing quarterback is understanding what's going on on the other side of the ball, getting the ball out of time in the right spots at the right time. That That's, that's all mental stuff, and I hear you talking about that with him. How have you gotten him to progress so fast, so quickly? Because I think BYU needs some advice on how to get these guys to progress in the same way, right? I've spent a lot of time with him, to be honest with you. I mean, ever since ever since he came in in the spring, we've spent a lot of time in my office going over scheme and and reads. And, you know, he came from a wing T offense. Oh, man. He'd never run an RPO before. He didn't have to take very many three-step and a hitch drops. It was all play-action rollout. So, Everything from his feet to his mechanics to his reads to his timing, and to his credit, he's he's kind of a gym rat. And every time I've asked him to come in, he's either already here or yes, sir, coach, I'll be right there. And so, to his credit, he's put in a lot of work. Um, and quite honestly, because of him, we've had the season that we've had. Well, Max, Jake Retzlaff's getting ready to play Oklahoma on Saturday. This will be his third start if he starts. Yeah, we, we don't know if Keen's healthy and will come back or not. They haven't decided that. But Aaron Roderick said he's preparing Jake. Uh, what uh, what does Jake got to do? You've seen him a couple of games now. Is he is he so in over his head? What what are you seeing that that gives you hope? Well, I'll tell you what I like about him is I think the kid's got fight and I think the kid's got heart. He's got playmaking ability. Um, 
I just, you know, it's hard when you watch the games at home on TV. You can't really see the routes downfield, the secondary. Uh, you can't really pick up on all of his reads. Um, I'm guessing that he missed some. You know, there was a few replays, and I think he missed some reads. And um, that stuff takes a while. You know, he's he's still young, and he's playing some really good football teams. So hopefully they can, you know, him and uh, A-Rod can get together and, and in the scheme – you know, come up with some ways to where you can get him, get the ball out fast, get him some easy reads and uh, let him use his athletic ability. So whatever that looks like for them. But um, I always tell people, try to be creative yet simple, be creative in what you're doing, but make it simple for the quarterback, especially when he's uh, when he's young or new. You know, Max, as I, as I watched all of you guys develop from playing as young players to being veterans and playing as juniors and seniors when we've had a lot of reps, it feels like you all get better at getting through your progressions and then just getting to the checkdown. Um, and and it seems like you always know where the checkdown is. And so it's like, hey, instead of one, I'm waiting a little bit. No, he's not open. Two, crap, now I need to run. It's like one, nope, two, nope, three. Here's my checkdown. Bam, and it's off. And, and that's where he had open guys this last week or some of the checkdowns and the underneath stuff that he could have gotten out quick. And you probably can't see it if you're not watching the All-22 like I get to, but... How, how can you put a guy on a hyperspeed to understand that faster? Is it possible or does it just take reps? It takes reps, but it, I, I mean, it obviously takes reps and it came, takes game reps, but you have to rep it and practice. And I, for me, your timing and decision-making has a lot to do with your feet. You know, I was brought up in the old, you know, Bill Walsh, you know, run and shoot West coast where it was hitch, hitch, go. Right. So you hitched your first read, you hitched your second read. If it's not there, you go. And so something like that timing wise is what he needs. And I think it starts with his feet and understanding the timing of the routes and the concepts getting to my check down. Um, and I know because I've been doing that with Enoch for the past, you know, yeah. six to eight months or whatever. And it all starts with your feet. And I think your feet, you know, if they're too fast, it speeds your head up. Um, you just you need to have the right timing um, to make the right decisions and, and to go through your reads. So that's, in my opinion, what what you can do for it to happen the fastest. Former BYU quarterback Max Hall is on the Wise Guys on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and YSGuys.com. BYU's 5-5 five and five through their first year of Power 5 football in the Big 12. What has surprised you? What has disappointed you? Um, wow, that's a tough question. Um, what has surprised me is the record. I thought that they would have won a few of the games that they lost. Mm -hmm. um, I was expecting them to be more, more, you know, at least six, seven game wins. And I'm sure the coaches and everybody would tell you the same thing. Um, I've been disappointed in the run game. If we're going to talk scheme, yeah. you know, I just don't feel like BYU has ever really got the run game going um, and been consistent at it. And again, I'm not in the meeting rooms. I'm not there. I don't know if it's the offensive line scheme, whatever it is, but um, I think that's why they struggled a little bit offensively because if you don't have a solid run game and a rods offense, the play action and the rollouts and everything else that he does won't be open. Um, the other thing I don't know is if our receivers are creating separation downfield. Like, again, I can't see that. So I don't know if the quarterbacks are missing reads or if just nothing's there and we're not creating separation. But, um, you know, I, I, I never like to talk about the negatives, but I think the disappointment would be just the inconsistencies um, a little bit on offense and not winning some of the games that I feel like we should have. You know, BYU-Oklahoma, 10 a.m. start. 
which Dave and I are going out of our minds because that means we have to be in studio at 6 a.m. on the air at 8 a.m. That means you're not coming Dave, up, Dave, so we're bugged Dave by doesn't that, too. Dave doesn't get up till 10 a.m., so this is going to be an interesting <laughs> thing for him. Interesting for the players as well. You've upset Oklahoma before. What needs to happen for this BYU team to pull off an upset at home on Saturday morning? The first thing they have to do, in my opinion, is is – and I don't know if you want to call it culture or attitude, but they got to fix their mindset. Like, I feel like it's kind of spiraling the last couple games. And now when you get to that point, having enthusiasm and passion, it almost feels forced, if that makes sense. So I think Kalani needs to figure out a way to get the team back excited, motivated, and honestly go out and play this game like you got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Really what they're battling for is to be able to go to a bowl game now. So they need to win one of these games, go to a bowl game. So why not come out in this game, open the playbook up, play with passion, have fun, and just enjoy playing the game of football. I think sometimes when you get too tense and then everything seems forced after that and nothing can ever get rolling. So I think they need to relax, play like you got nothing to lose. And then the number one thing is believe you can beat these guys. You know, don't make the game bigger than it is. Go in and execute, do your job, right? Play with passion and then make the dang plays when they're there. We need to start making the plays when we have the opportunity. And uh, if we do that, I mean, we can beat anybody. So it's all starts with belief, culture, attitude. And then, in my opinion, this team just needs to go back to having fun and playing football. Yeah, that's that's a great point. It's, it's I, I watch them sometimes. They've had so many games, Max, where they come out and I see fire early. And then they turn the ball over two straight times like they did last week or four times in a row like they did against Kansas. And and I feel like that deep you watch that defense and it's almost like they're going out there, come on, guys, we're like if we're gonna win, this offense can't move the ball. So we're gonna have to score on defense. And then the next thing you know, they're down ten to zip and they've only given up thirty yards of total offense and they're down ten to zip. Or like they were in the Kansas game, forty one yards of total offense and they were down twenty one. And and then you kind of see the defense, and it's not necessarily effort, it's Guys running all over the place outside of their assignments trying to play hero ball now because they got to make a play. You know, we, we were talking about this before we came on the air. People are going, well, I just don't see the effort. Now, I get to watch the film every week. I'm like, oh, no, there's effort. But there's dudes not trusting, thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to make this giant play to win this game on this next play. So I'm going to run to the other side of the football and try to make a play when I'm supposed to stay right here. How do you reel that in? Because that's a real thing. That, that is exactly what I was talking about with the mindset. And when I'm saying it feels forced, that's what I'm talking about. Guys are thinking they have to go above and beyond their assignment, what they're supposed to be doing to try to win the game and or try to do create a turnover or something that can change the game. When bottom line, it comes down to starting fast. Like I said, make the plays and execute. Do your job and execute and trust your teammates to make the plays. But you can't come out and throw an interception on the first play. You got to get rolling offensively. You got to get some completions. You got to run the ball a little bit, throw some screens, do something to kind of get your guys going. Defense, do your job, do your assignment. I mean, that's what defensive, that's what they harp on defense. Everybody alignment and assignment, and then play with some energy and passion. I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it's an effort deal. I think it's a mindset. Yes. hundred percent. It's a mindset deal, not an effort deal. And they need to, Flip their mindset to, hey, let's execute. Let's be assignment sound. Let's make the catch when it's there. Let's make the cut. Let's make the block. 
and let's plug away at this thing, not feel like you have to win the game in one play. It's I a job that. for a psychologist, Sataki. Yeah, no, he's uh, like, to do that. Max, you're, you're so right on the ball there. Hey, um, we just got time for a couple more questions because you've got practice coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, 2009 Dallas, BYU beats Oklahoma 14-13. Sooners are ranked number three. You're the winningest quarterback in school history. Was that the biggest of all your victories? I think so. I mean, in that environment, we were the first game ever played in the in that new Dallas Cowboys stadium, Oklahoma. The place was packed. I just remember just sea of crimson and then this little sliver of BYU fans over there in the corner. And um, but we believed we could win. Like there was no doubt in our mind that we could win. The defense played phenomenal in that game. And then offensively, we we made enough plays to win the game, especially at the end. And, you know, even you know, I didn't know the camera was on me, but running in at halftime when I'm looking up at our little sliver of BYU fans and I'm saying, we're going to win, you know, <laughs> that was our mindset. Yeah. And we were going to do our job and do what we had to do to win. And it came down to a to a long, I think it was a 12-play drive in the fourth quarter where we went a little up-tempo two-minute mm -hmm. and then we're able to cap it off. So, um, you know, it takes a team, full-team effort. And I think BYU needs to figure out how they're going to put that together this weekend when they play on all three sides of the football. Take us back to that last drive. You just referred to it. What what were your thoughts during that drive, and what do you remember about that drive? We all remember the touchdown pass to McKay, right? But but there's a lot more to that than just that one play that got you in position. What, what do you remember most about that drive, and what was your mindset? So a couple things. First of all, I loved that uh, coach and I said, hey, we're going to switch it up and go no huddle up tempo on the ball up tempo. And he kind of said, hey, Max, you know, we we had rehearsed our two minute plays that we like against him. He goes, Max, go call it and um, let's see what we can make happen right now. But there's two key plays on that drive, which made it work. The first one, it was a third and long. I can't remember exactly the distance. And we called blue ride 80, which is like a kind of a, a drop, and then I, I dash out to the right. And then uh, Austin had a comeback and go, and then Dennis had a deep inside comeback. And that throw I made, first of all, Dennis ran a phenomenal route, created separation, and I threw a ball getting hit running to my right that we completed. That was big, first of all. The second big one was the fourth down call. Mm -hmm. And it was a situation that us as players and the coaches were prepared for. We knew – if we got to a fourth and short situation, we were going to call Niner. That was the name of the play. And so we got on the ball. It was a play that we had repped really all year, and we all knew our assignment. But what's funny is 90% of the time on that play, I threw the ball to the flat to Harvey. But once in a while, I would throw the corner to McKay. Not once ever repping that play did I ever throw it to Dennis. In practice, Wow. never. Well, went but for 23 it was yards. Just one of those things that was instinct, and I rolled out, went nope, nope, and just happened to look inside to Dennis, and he was there. I <laughs> take it take what him, the defense gives, the right? That's this offense. Take what the defense gives. And then a couple plays later, you got Jacobs in the back of the end zone, and oh. the rest is history. People forget about those big plays that got you there. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Max. Max, we wish you the best of luck Friday in the playoffs, and uh, we hope to see you up here very soon thanks for joining go, us go bash basha that's what i say bash basha man absolutely i appreciate you guys man go kooks let's get the win this weekend thanks max community of byu fans thousands of posts daily this question comes from one of their insider 
subscribers. And it's a question for you, Blaine. Who is responsible for our players having the correct cleats? Yeah, this is this is cleat gate. And will <laughs> having the game in the morning be helpful if we aren't able to get the proper cleats for our players? Everyone noticed BYU's guys were slipping around, and Iowa State's guys were not. They, they slipped had different a little, but not on. to the level that BYU is, yes. So there, there's two different styles of cleats that, that you can wear. And, and let me answer the first question first. It's a combination of equipment and the players because the, the equipment managers make suggestions and the players in the end decide. I think after this game, um, the equipment managers and the coaches just need to like make the entire decision, right? Um, the problem is the one that would give you better footing for that game is a lot heavier, so a lot of guys choose the lighter shoe. Um, BYU, for the most part, when that field's in good shape and dry, wears molded cleats. They're like plastic molded on the bottom, like Nike Vapors. They're really light. It's almost like wearing a track shoe, so you feel faster in those. When the field gets soft and wet, and, and in this game, they've had that field covered all week last week, but when they took that cover off, as we got into the evening, the dew point came down and dew started to settle on that field, and it gets, it's a big sand-based field that drains a lot of water. It gets really soft. Then when the field gets soft and you have those molded cleats, it's, it's almost like everybody's gone out and golfed early in the morning when the dew's on the grass, and you, and you come up, or you look off on the bottom of your foot, and you're like, I'm slipping. And it's just nothing but grass. It's like wearing flat shoes that like, like just gets up into those golf shoes. Yeah. And you come over to this, you know, you go over to those things where you clean them out. That's what those molded cleats look like after about two plays out there. They're just completely packed with turf, wet turf in the bottom of them, and you start to slip. The other style of shoe is a screw in. Which the Iowa State guys had. They're a little bit longer, they're spread out, they're less likely to cake up. Um, so further apart, bigger, and a little bit longer. And when the field's wet and soft, you get better footing with that. But they're significantly heavier. Yeah. So well, players, unless they have to have heavy would, and uprights, they would than... always prefer to have the lighter cleat if they have good footing. Well, I think you'd rather have a heavy shoe if you're not going to slip down and fall, right? And so yeah. um, the equipment managers, especially this time of year, should be bringing two sets to every single game. I'm not sure that that happened, that they had two sets for everybody. I think they made recommendations. Hey, it could be wet. Do you want this or do you want that? And the players decide that this is what they want. Um, and then I don't know, they easily could have run over at halftime if they felt like they're having a big enough problem. But it, it's a combination of the equipment manager making a recommendation and the player deciding what they want to do. But in the morning, at this weekend, it could be rainy. Yeah, they should come out with spikes. Yeah, I, I, don't I, care I, how think, I think you, I think you wear the most aggressive, spread out cleat that you can wear. And it was just a thing game for Saturday the fans morning. where they're just like, you know, they're getting yeah. killed, and then the players are slipping all over, and then they're like, yeah, everything's what's going wrong? on even, right now. Even the shoes. We can't even not slip. I, right? I imagine the hot dogs were cold. It was just a terrible night <laughs> for everybody, and 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 uh, that question was, come on, what about the shoes? Yeah. Hey, a big football development today. Uh, the NFL Hall of Fame announced a new display yes. featuring Taysom Hill's jersey, wristband, and shoes that he wore for the Saints in their Week 9 game when he joined Frank Gifford as the only players in NFL history with at least 25 rushing, 10 passing, and 10 receiving touchdowns. Earlier this season, Hall of Fame 
honored Pukunakua for his record-setting uh, start as a rookie receiver. So BYU gets two guys in the Hall of Fame in the same season for doing miraculous things. And Taysom Hill's in there today. It, it's awesome because you think about it. We, we talk about this. Taysom's a freak in a league that's just full of freaks. Um, and anybody in the league will tell you that guy is impossible to stop. He's so big, so fast, so agile, so explosive. And the fact that he can do so many things, he's one of the best athletes to ever play in that league. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool that he's getting recognized. So he's the first player to have that combo since Frank Gifford. Yeah, and Frank Gifford was... A long hey, time Frank ago. Gifford was broadcasting Monday Night Football when I was a kid, and I'm an old man. So yeah, yeah, he was. I, I enjoyed him on Monday Night Football. Yeah, yeah. And we're not that old, but still. Well, we're trying to pretend <laughs> like we're not that old, but we really are old. Our next guest is a BYU baseball legend. He's been an All American, an All Star, won a pennant, was inducted into the West Coast Conference Hall of Honor. He's appeared as an actor in the iconic films The Singles Ward. My and favorite things RM. he's ever done right there. Right it's there. our pleasure to welcome Wally Joyner to the Wise Guys. Speak, oh, hey, Wally, first of all, thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. Wally and I were in school together, Good so to he here. is also old. He's also <laughs> I was going to say I'm the oldest, I think. Now, maybe. Are you older than me or are we the same? 61. Oh, you're one year ahead of me. Yeah, you're both yeah. way, I'm, way I'm, ahead of I'm me. I'm 60. Uh, so You golf down there at Riverside. I do. Taysom Hill golfs at Riverside. Can you outdrive him? I played with Taysom. Um, he probably doesn't remember it as much as I do, but I cannot out driving. Yeah. And let me tell you something. That's, and I, I've played with both. Wally can kill the ball yeah. off, off of the tee. So when he says that he can't out drive Taysom, that's saying something. Well, when we're talking about him being in the Hall of Fame with, for his thing, and I started thinking, wait a second, you've probably played golf with him. I know he can bomb it, uh, but you can bomb it too. I, uh, I hold my own. Uh, I was when I played with Taysom. I had a hole in one on number three at oh, Riverside. Oh man! So, so he was the witness. Wait, and he was the witness. Here's, and I, I, well, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but we were talking a little bit ago. Who's the best golfer in your family right now? Though that's the question. It would be my lovely wife Leslie, who is the Riverside Women's Club champion right now. How about that? What's what's that like to have the club champ in the house and? And what's the dinner discussion like after she won that? So you've been married 33 years. So now the 33rd year, she's the club champion. So how, is that, how has that changed? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate 33. 40. 40? We've been 40, 40, 40 okay. years. That's some yeah, we, we 1983. are 1983. We're 40th this year, too. That's right. That's, see? 40. Okay. And, um, you know, the dinner table, it's a little... Uh, crowded with that big trophy in the middle right, that I have to see all that. No, just kidding. <laughs> Leslie's great. She's very embarrassed about it, but what a great accomplishment. That's awesome. Hey, um, what's more nerve-wracking, facing a fastball or acting in one of those movies that we mentioned, the RM or the singles ward? Well, uh, definitely acting, number one. And number two, after the, after the first singles ward came out, I had been living here for about three years. Yeah. And I'm at the Walmart down at Springville and I'm shopping and this mom and a daughter keeps, they keep passing me, <laughs> keep passing me. And finally they stop and the, the mom says, Hey, can we have your autograph? And I had to say, well, if you can tell me what I did for my career, uh, absolutely. And they said, no, we just know you're the bishop in the singles war. <laughs> you're like Tom Cruise. You're in the movies. That was it. I, we, we, I don't know if we talked about this before, but um, Brenda and I, we like to travel to Europe and, Multiple times now we've been to Europe, 
and the, the assistants to the president and the and the uh, mission president are there receiving the new missionaries coming. And we're walking in, and they start to look at me. And I'm thinking, hey, I've been in television for 34 years. Like They know me. They, they know who I yeah. am, right? And then they'll come over and say, uh, hey, we, weird question. Are you the safety guy? Because I, I host the P-Day safety videos for the missionaries. Yeah. And I'm like... I'm the safety guy. They're like, can we take some pictures with you when the missionaries come in? Because they have to watch this every quarter while on their mission. And so my wife's like, see, you thought you were big, you know, nobody watches you on TV. The only reason you're even remotely famous is because you're the safety guy. (laughs) So do you remember from your movies, do you remember any of the lions? Oh, sure. Um, I was, I was Bishop Angel. So uh, the, the first movie was supposed to be just a, um, a one and done, right? Just a cameo appearance. Yeah. And some of the other actors could make it. So my my part got a little bigger. So I had a few speaking parts. It's um, a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? It with, is. With the lights and cameras, and it's not be natural. It's get your line right. Yeah, we don't care if it's just get it right. Yeah. right? And uh, but, but the second movie was uh, The RM, and that was my favorite because um, in that movie, my wife in the movie and I yeah. had the missionary come back from his mission and he came back to our house looking for his job and we had sold my business and so he was sitting at the table remember this and all of a sudden we broke out into a utahweddings.com commercial right in the middle of the movie (laughs) and it was and we're looking at the camera and the missionaries looking around like what's going on so that i thought that was did they let you ad lib any of that stuff or did you have to stick to the script no ad lib oh so you can yeah yeah Yeah. which makes it even more makes it even more funny if you haven't seen like those are good to go go back and watch if if you haven't had a chance because it's not natural it's not natural to act it's natural when you're a big time hitter to get in the box and, yeah. and smack pitches. But acting is, I don't know what it is, but when we go to the movies and we watch, we just assume it is natural. Yeah, it wasn't natural. It was <laughs> difficult. And, uh, but I had a great time, Dave Hunter. Um, and, uh, you know, he was the direct, uh, not, the, yeah, he was the producer of the producer. producer. Yeah. And I uh, had a lot of fun with him. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little baseball with you. We love having you here. He played 16 seasons um, in the majors. So you're an expert. We get an expert in here. We want you to finish these two sentences. The first sentence is, the sport of baseball is better today because... It's not. No, that's the second question. Yeah. So (laughs) that's the second question about why it's worse. Is there anything better about baseball today? Yeah, they've sped the game up. And And so you like the pitch clock? I do like the pitch clock, although I think that they need to make an adjustment late in the game because not every inning and not every out is as important as the last three, right? That's a great point. So I think as it gets closer to the end, I think that the relievers and uh, they should get a, a few more seconds. So if, and think about that. In football, you know, they've hurried everything up. Um, and in the NFL, they just roll the clock all the time. At least in college, they go, listen, in the last two minutes. Stop the clock. Which are really important. We're mm-hmm. going to stop the clock. That would be a similar mindset Correct. if that's what they did in baseball. I, I get that. Okay, so let's let's go to that second part of that question then. Baseball's worse today be, because of what? The rule changes. So they're both better and worse. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan on... If I were the Kansas City Royals going in to play the Yankees in New York, oh. 
and I'm the manager of the Yankees, and I think that if I had all seven people on the right side and pitching to this pit, to the hitter to get him out, I should be able to do that. And now they're limiting the shift. You can't move the players as much. Um, in my opinion, the reason why is because the hitters aren't as good as they used to be. Mm. They don't practice what they should practice, and they've been caught up in launch angle and exit velocity, and instead of uh, – in this situation, I need to hit the ball to the right side. In this situation, I need to hit the ball in the outfield. Is that because chicks dig the long ball? When they Remember that campaign was like home runs? When we go to big league games, what do we want to see? See how far the ball can go? Yeah. Was I mean, that actually a campaign, chicks dig the long ball? Yeah. Oh, yeah, with yeah, Greg Greg Maddox. Maddox. oh that's a campaign. Tom Glavin, Chuck yeah, Smoltz. It was the Atlanta Braves who yeah. were uh, – Known to be pretty good hitters as mm-hmm. pitchers, and then they did a campaign. It was pretty good, actually. And ironic, like because it. those are three pitchers that no one could hit. Exactly. But uh, but that was pre-Sammy Sosa, pre-Mark McGuire, pre-Barry Bonds, of just hit it as far as you can. Don't worry about bunting. I, it's got so frustrating when we watch a game, you go, hey, why, why am I sitting on my couch going, we should bunt that guy over? And the guy has no intention of yeah. bunting because he wants to... He wants to. He wants to jack it out. Power it. And but there's a difference. I don't mind Barry Bonds and McGuire and Sosa uh, not munting. Right. But when you're up to the plate and you're you have a 191 batting average yeah. or 200 batting average, and these are arguably their best hitters, they should be able to bunt. Yeah, like me, I should be able to bunt. I'm not going to hit it out. But they none of them do it. At least you know the Cubs didn't hardly bunt all year. And I'm like, come on. Dave has had a miserable experience of being a Cubs fan his whole life. Yeah, but we had a really good year. It's the second miserable only to my son-in-law, Blair, who's been a Pirates fan his whole life. We had a good year in 2016. And we're close to getting back to being competitive. Had a good year this year. It was fun. Bellinger um, played really well this year. Yeah. Yeah. Former BYU star, big league hitter, fielder, Wally Joyner on the Wise Guys tonight, live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and wiseguys.com. If you got some questions, uh, let us know. Before there was Jimmermania, many of you might remember there was Wally World. Uh, describe the magic behind Wally World when you were at the Angels there in 86, right down there next to Disneyland, and you owned the place for a young guy. What was that like? It was uh, unbelievable, first of all, and it was uh, during my rookie year. We were on the East Coast um, playing the Detroit Tigers and then the Yankees, and um, then we came home to play the Tigers and the Yankees, and so it was a Friday night, I think, and I'm walking up to hit my first at bat, and I get into the batter's box, and there was this loud noise and commotion out in right field loud enough to stop play and we all I stepped out of the batter's box and all of a sudden there was a big banner that was unfurled and it said uh Detroit Tigers welcome to Wally World oh man and uh it stuck and there it was it was pretty cool did you were there walk-up songs back then like they have now where everybody picks their walk-up song when you're coming up to the plate did, did they even have that well when I played for the Angels the only choice we had was uh Gene Autry so, oh, oh, yeah. Because no. he was the owner back then. <laughs> and he had only he so many hits. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that the um, when that started taking place was maybe in the late 90s. I, I don't remember if I had one or not, but I, didn't, I, I do know that when I was with the Padres, it was the start of the entrance to the closer. Yeah. And I thought that we hit it 
out of the ballpark with um, Hell's Bells and yeah. uh, oh, Trevor Hoffman. Oh, Dave, Dave will agree with you Trevor on that Trevor Hoffman was awesome. Yes. By the time he got to the mound, he was so jacked up. Oh, my yes. God. A thousand miles an hour. And it just exploded. The The stadium exploded when the, those first bells were What's ringing. the new big one? The Mets pitcher, the Mets closer, when they play the trumpet. That seemed to go over big time with the kids. Yeah. They play it at high schools now. Uh, and then the Sandman was, of course, Mario Rivera. Rivera. Which was, yeah. I thought, the second best. But... You, I guess because you saw it so so often because they both have over 600 saves, right? Yeah. yeah. So you heard yeah. it. Yeah. put people to sleep. It took me a while to figure out why is it the Sandman? Because you're going to put them to sleep. <laughs> well, hey, 1986 was a crazy year, an amazing and crazy year for you. First rookie voted to the All-Star game. You tied Daryl Strawberry in the home run derby. Yeah, how was that, by yeah, the way? Should have beat him. How was that? You got well, Strawberry and there's you. Everyone knows Strawberry and they're going, who's this guy? And we're in Houston playing in the Astrodome, which was one of the biggest places. Worst place to hit home runs, right? Worst place. It was just uh, a Grand Canyon out there. So I tell people that Daryl, when he would hit, he would hit the ball off the speakers, and I would just go right over. Right over. It didn't matter. (laughs) Home run's a home run, right? (laughs) A month after that, a fan throws a knife at you during a game at the Yankee Stadium. What in the world was that? So um, I think it was that they thought that they were throwing it at me. I think that they were throwing it at the Angels. So if you can remember, the Yankees were really bad that during that mm-hmm. time. And we had a two-game series that we went in, and I don't think they scored a run off of us. And Mike Witt had thrown a perfect – not a perfect game, but a complete game. So we're out on the mound congratulating Mike. And I congratulate him, and I turn to leave, and something hits me on my shoulder – and I think it's Mike wanting to ask me a question. So I turned back right. to him and I said, what, Mike, what do you need? He goes, I don't, nothing. And we looked down and there's a buck knife that's sticking right in the ground. So it went right between us. My so I think goodness. it was a disgruntled Yankee fan just So how many feet would it. that knife have had to travel to get out to where you guys were? Well, minimum about mm, 50 yards or 20, So they yards. had to wind up and chuck that We thing. think it came from the upper deck, which was even more. Oh, that is so scary. How and do you it, even get a knife up there in the uh, upper deck? I don't know. But the the rest of the story was the Yankees came to our place a week later, and Dave Winfield runs out to right field, Wally World. Mm-hmm. And all these rubber knives <laughs> oh, are thrown out at him. There had to be a retaliation. Oh, it was great. <laughs> it was wow. great. Uh, and that, of course, didn't get you any interested to go back to play to New York. Were you, were you thinking, hey, what, what kind of a wild place is this? Well, it was a wild place, but it was one of my favorite places. Really? Yankee Stadium was great. Boston was great. Is, is the new Yankee Stadium okay with you? The new, like I built it in the parking lot and made the parking lot where the old one was. It's not the same, but it's close. Um in my post career, I was the coach for a few baseball teams, right. and, and my last stop was with the Detroit Tigers, and we had a, a hitting team. We had Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, JT Martinez, mm-hmm. JD Martinez, Nick Castellanos that are still playing, and their goal. So we have like three or four hitting groups, and they were one or two, and their goal was to hit all the baseballs out of the ballpark. So. The fourth group couldn't hit, and, and they were very successful. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's stay in 1986 because that's when everything happened. Game three of the American League Championship Series against Boston. Um, you got a shot to win this series and, and go to the World Series. You get a staph infection on your shin. How did that come about? And then it took you out of the series, and the Sox beat you in seven games. It was, first of all, devastating. Yeah. Uh, let's back up about three months okay. after the All-Star game. 
I open up and we open up in Seattle for a Friday night game after the all-star break. Um, I foul a ball off of my shin hitting. Oh, very painful. My next at bat, I do the same thing in the same spot. So it was double painful and it broke the skin. We thought, I thought I broke my shin. They took me off and I went to the hospital for x-rays. X-rays were negative. But what we think happened was staph infection got into that sore, oh, into man. that hematoma. And it was so deep that it got underneath my shin and it was unnoticeable after about a week. I started complaining about being tired. I was very tired. The second half of the season, my numbers went down. I was just treading water. And you had no idea why. No idea. Well, everybody, their answer was, well, you're a rookie. You're not used to playing this many games. And so I bought in. And so I'm just playing. I have a nice postseason start against Roger Clemens and Bruce Hurst. Um, Game three, I'm on second base. There's a base hit. I'm trying to score. I elude the tag of Rich Gedman. But in the the process, I twist my ankle on that leg. And um, that night, I started having flu-like symptoms high fever and I'm like this is bad luck right Mm. can't can't happen the next morning I get out of bed and I collapse on my right side I look down and I got red streaks going up my my leg have no idea hobble to the car drive up yeah you uh, you drove yourself to the hospital no I drove myself to the stadium oh gosh they took one look at you trainers looked at it they called in all the doctors the um, dermatologist took the ice bag off and looked at it and said you're going right to the hospital. And that's when they thought it was staph infection. And that's the explanation. I stayed in the hospital for two weeks. Yeah, wow. for the whole IV rest antibiotics of the to try to just a combination of IV antibiotics. And well, to get- I was on the strong IV antibiotics, but it was just so. Uh, so now let's let's go so back. Strong. Let's go back to the sprained ankle. Let's say you don't sprain that ankle and your shin issue goes undetected. Mm hmm. If it's enough to knock you down to the floor, is it enough to knock you out? Um, there was a good chance I was going to lose my leg if that didn't happen, for sure. So thank That's the best sprained, the ankle sprained ankle in the history, then. Yeah. And isn't that interesting how life teaches us lessons? Because you hate the fact that you're in the hospital and your boys are playing in the ALCS and they're struggling and you're the answer to them winning and so you got all that, but but at what point did did time kind of reveal to you that, hey, if that hadn't happened before, you might not even be here, or at least have your leg? Yeah, it took a while because I was more focused on I yeah. need to be playing. And uh, um, so I, this happened Friday night, Saturday. No, Friday night. I missed Saturday's game. We lose, uh, or we win Saturday's game. We lose Sunday's game to go back to Boston. So I'm in the hospital for about 48 hours. They've done surgery on my shin, and mm-hmm. you know they're cleaning it out every hour, and it's very painful. So the team doctor, Jackie Autry, Gene Autry, they come in, and amongst them, they release me from the hospital, and they said, you can go travel with the team, and we'll take care of you, but we just need you to play. So they leave, and I tell my wife, who's next to me, Hey, go pack my bags. And she goes, mm, I'll go pack your bags if you can go from your bed to the bathroom, which is like three steps. I said, no problem. Boom, on the ground. Wow. Oh, man. And she goes, you're not going anywhere. No. So that was tough to not go. It was the right decision. And then as I was getting better, it was clear. 
that the clarity set in. And what a story! What a what yeah, a what a, just, what a learning experience on something. How, how long did it take you from that, Wally, to to get back where you were fully healthy again, and able to run like you could, and do all that? Well, the the fun thing was after we lost and and didn't make it to the World Series um, back in 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 the eighties. Major League Baseball had what was called a Japanese series, which was called the Fuji Super, Super Series. And that year, in 86, the all-star team for the Major League Baseball team went to Japan to play seven games against their best players. And that was three weeks after. So I was on that team. And, made, you're, and you were able to Made play? the trip, and I played. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Um, because you're you're you've experienced a lot of things, uh, and you have now the the vision of before, during, and after. Um, what is it like pressure wise for a player to keep his edge? We see it all the time. We see players crumble today trying to do it, and we've seen it back before. Um, and steroids has been a big issue in baseball, and a lot of people experimented with it. And there was the 2007 Mitchell report. Your name was in there, and you've been very open in talking about uh, three pills that you took a shot at, to, and, and then you you threw them down the toilet, and and that was that. But but my question really centers on the the pressure to keep your edge in professional baseball. How big is it? How 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 massive is it? Well, let me. I'll take some time answering that, okay. and, and it's a great question. Um, we'll go back to 2000, uh, no, it was 1999, after the Padres went to the World Series. Yeah. We got swept by the Yankees. We played great. It was a great year for us. Um, Ken Caminiti, who was hitting third, Wally Joyner, who was hitting fourth, we were together. We might have had one good leg. <laughs> and uh <laughs> But man, when you hit the baseball, it took off. And and so in the postseason, and and after the season was over, I had surgery. He had surgery, and uh, we go to spring training. And I'm not getting as I'm not getting better as fast as I want to. Right. So the opportunity for some help yeah. was always there. I had never ever done it. Uh, broke in in 1986, 1998 is when this was taking place. And um, I spoke with someone who the next day, the steroids ended up in my locker. And I thought that I was, I thought everybody was looking at me, right? I mean, I thought everybody knew, right? So I took the package, took it to my uh, apartment, threw it in the second bedroom, and it stayed there for about a week. And I was just fighting, do I do it? Do I not do it? Mm -hmm. I finally opened up the package the second day, third day, um, I was in the bathroom and um, I looked in the mirror and I said, I've done this for 12 years clean. Um, don't tarnish it. Yeah. So I threw it away. And I had no qualms about it. It was the right thing to do. And, you know, reality was I, did, I never ever thought I was good enough to play one day, much less 12 years. And right. then it turned out to be 16 years, which was uh, probably my greatest... Um, what I was most proud of was how long I played. Yeah. Which goes back to your question. How do you keep the edge? Right. And it's real easy going to spring training when you have my first year, I was the young guy wanting to get the job. Yeah. And then I got the job and then there were seven, eight, nine players every spring that wanted the job and uh, to be able and to play well enough to put them all back into their, 
position if they were on the big league club or put them back in the minor leagues was what you did every year. And um, it was a fight. It was tough. Playing the game was tough, but to play it at a level of you're who, are, you're who we want and you're on the team and we think that you can do the job. And you're supporting your family. This is your job. And you're supporting your family. I want to go back to something you said, Wally, because you, you just said, I never felt like I could make it at all, let alone for 16 seasons. And, and you know, we were in school together. Steve was there with us, Steve Young. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve was interesting because Steve was always, oh, I, I did this. I, I just, I don't think Steve ever believed he'd ever made it. Mm-hmm. And we would even have conversations when he was the MVP of the Super Bowl. I'm like, dude, you're the best player in the world. But it's almost like he subconsciously put that chip on his shoulder that I'm never going to be good enough, so I have to work. Now, you've just said you never felt like you were. Is that part of what drove you to be the best that you could be for that many years, is that you just told yourself that that you didn't deserve to be there? Well, it wasn't that I didn't deserve to be there. I didn't know I was good enough to be there. And um, You never believed your own clippings or your own success. It, you were just doing it. You just lived it. It was just happening. So let's go back. I was in double-A baseball, and uh, I had a good year. And that offseason, I, I, I received a letter to come to big league camp with the Angels, um, which is a huge letter yeah, to get. Right? Sure. That's what you play for, right? So now I'm, uh, I'm nervous about getting to big league camp with the Angels. And, and in 1985, Reggie Jackson, Doug DeSensei, Bob Boone, Brian Downing, Don Sutton. Yeah. They had a veteran team that they were really good. So um, a really funny story. So I didn't sleep the night of, before the first day, and I made a promise to myself, Wally, get there early, get out of it, you know, dress, get out of every, get out of the locker room. You don't want to be seen. Just go out, be invisible. When practice is over, take some extra ground balls, stay out get some work in and let the veterans go shower and leave. So the day goes through and it's perfect. And I'm one of the last guys to go into the locker room and nobody's around, which I'm happy about. And I go to my locker and on my chair, there's a note that says, please go see Mike Port, the general manager's secretary. Right. And you don't want that ever. No, mm-hmm. that's not because good. That's not good. Does that mean we're going to send you back down? down right? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like, really? The first day I just, <laughs> what did I do wrong? <laughs> So I, I get the, and I don't know the ins and outs. So in my uniform, I go out the back and I go out to the front where the public is walking in and getting schedules and asking questions. And so I walk into the front entrance and there's about five or six people that are being helped. So I just sit down and I'm waiting patiently. And finally, it's just me and the secretary. And she looks at me and I look at her and she goes, can I help you? And I said, well, um, I'm here to see Mike Port's secretary. Leslie and she goes I'm Leslie who are you and I said well I had this note to come see you and she goes what are you talking about and I said well um I'm Wally Joyner I'm part of the team and she starts laughing uncontrollably and she tries to talk and she's just in tears and finally she stops and she says I know this is really rude and I'm, I apologize, but I saw you walk in here 20 minutes ago and I thought it was really cute that your dad bought you a uniform <laughs> and that you wanted to be the bat boy for the day. And I said, well, if that keeps me in the big leagues, I'll do whatever it takes, right? 
So it was, I just needed to get my per diem check from Oh, that was it. Oh, that's, that's funny. Oh man. Funny first day. Wally Joyner's on the wise guys at 43 home runs at BYU, another 204 in 16 seasons in the major leagues with the Angels, Royals, Padres, and Braves. Played in 2,033 games in the major leagues, 889 with the Angels. Uh, And I go back to that comment that Blaine made a moment ago, and you you weren't quite sure you belonged. You played in over 2,000 of these things. You did belong. You were a star. And uh, of all those games, did you have a favorite? I had a, a, a handful of favorites. The All-Star game was... Mm. Yeah? So, I, uh, I, I, I get elected to start in my rookie year. And that doesn't happen. At no. first, but it, I was the first for that to ever happen. Yeah. Ironically enough... The first baseman the year before with the Yankees was a guy by the name of Don Mattingly. Sure. Yeah. Who Not won, too bad. Who won the MVP in the American League in 1985. So in 1986, he still hasn't started an all-star game, and this rookie starts in front of him. Nice. Oh, man. Well, that sounds right because the, the fans threw a knife at you well, when you were back there. Yeah, you we, deserve We got it. him back, right? <laughs> so I get to the all-star game, and Dick Hauser – is the manager for that team because the Red, or the Royals went to the World Series in 85. So I walk in, and I'm there for about five minutes. I'm, I'm a kid in a candy store. All these people that I've grown up watching, I, I'm, I'm in the same locker room with. And Dick Hauser comes out and says, uh, Wally, come in here for a minute. So I go into his office, and he says, congratulations, son. What a great achievement starting in the All-Star game. But here's how it's going to work. And he points out and he goes, you see that gentleman out there? And we, we look at Don Mattingly and he <laughs> says, he was the MVP of the league last year. So what we're going to do is you're going to play the first inning at first base. You're going to come in and hit third. And then you and I are going to sit on the bench and watch this guy play. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no problem. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's classic. Uh, you, you were um, in the league as, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in that era, they're still not, but there were very few. You mentioned Bruce Hurst, who's a good friend. And Bruce was in, in minor leagues in the New York Penn League when, when uh, my family was still back in New York. And kid from St. George spending a lot of time at our house. I had older sisters he liked, too. But... Uh, um, and, and I know that he felt like just out of place, you, you know, in there in the minor leagues, you know, being a member of the church and, and traveling all over. Was there a lot of pressure um, as, as a member of the church to, to be out there and be that visible? And, you know, how, how was that? Because there were so few at the time and so few today, even in Major League Baseball. Well, I, I've always b- believed that uh, you find your own pressure, right? You create what you want to create, you're around what you want to create and be around. And um, after a little while, my teammates knew who I was and what I was, and so they would, they would chaperone me. Yeah. Hey, we're going out, but you can't go, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was easy. Um, the other easy part to this was I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and for some reason there's a guy – in Atlanta that played for the Braves that's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it should be right. Should Dale be oh, in the Hall of Fame? Oh, my gosh. Years ago. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, the Hall of Fame is for people who uh, changed the game. And uh, Dale Murphy changed the game. Yeah. And he changed it on a last-place team. And it's unheard of of a, of a player becoming the MVP two years in a row on a last-place team. It never happens. Yeah. So – He's got my vote. He's always had my vote, but yeah. he was a role model for me right. to um, 
emulate, and uh, I loved it. I met him when I was in 10th grade. He was a keynote speaker for a luncheon that the Braves were um, honoring high school players that I was invited to. So it was great to meet him then, and uh, we've been very good friends since then, and he's just he's the best, absolute best. It's awesome to have somebody show you the way. You know, we all have them, whether they're our parents or friends or or icons like that, to, that, hey, you can do this and you can be this, uh, as opposed to the world says, well, if you want to be a superstar, you've got you to party, you've got to this, you've got to get involved with it, you've got to do what the crowd's doing. And, um, you know, nobody's perfect. None of us are perfect, but, but you manage to, to weave your way through ups and downs. Uh, and, and as you look back, Dale Murphy, guys, maybe Danny Ainge, guys who've been in the spotlight, they've won at the highest level and, and maintain just being nice. I, I noticed all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my freshman year at BYU was Danny's senior year. Yeah. And, uh, he had come back from playing second base with the Toronto Blue Jays. What a great athlete, right? He right. was in yeah. the big leagues for mm-hmm. the Toronto Blue Jays and came back to play college basketball to go play Could, for the Celtics. Couldn't have a scholarship because he's a professional athlete in the other sport. Right. So he had to pay his own way to BYU, <laughs> well, which I've always appreciated about Dean. Nice. And then we had Jim McMahon. Then we had um, just a, a, a line of quarterbacks with um, just incredible role models. Steve Young, just iconic. Isn't it cool to be in that group? Your name's in that it's group. It's kind of cool. Absolutely. That was yeah. uh, we we call it Camelot, uh, you know, back at that time <laughs> in in the early to mid '80s when Wally and I were there together because our baseball team was one of the top in the country um, with with phenomenal. Like you, you played with guys like you know Rick Aguilera and Corey Snyder, um, Scott Nielsen, like on and on and on and on. Basketball team was going to an elite eight. Football team was winning a national championship and perennially in the top fifteen. There, there wasn't a better time. Like, you can argue all you want, but Wally and I are going to say there's never been a better time for BYU sports than that time. My question is, that 1983 team, is that the best baseball team that BYU's ever had? Um, I could argue yes. Um, it has my vote, by the way. I think we had seven or eight players on that team that got into the big leagues. Not, not to professional baseball, but made it to the big leagues. Aguilera, had, Snyder, um, We'll see Scott Nielsen. Scott Nielsen, yeah. um, uh, Joey Whitmer with the Seattle Mariners. We had uh, Gary Cooper with right. the Houston That's Astros. A right. um, couple other guys that um, I can't think of right now, but yeah, it was unheard of. A little, little school in Utah. Yeah. That doesn't play on hey, Sunday. Go, go, going to watch but, Wally and Corey we, was like, hey, Let's have Corey hit it under the steps of the Marriott Center and then have Wally hit it onto, onto the dorms in Helaman Halls. Like, it was nuts to go watch it you guys play back in those days. In our final minutes together with, with Wally Joyner tonight on The Wise Guys, let's get to the good stuff. You ready? Yes, sir. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, yes. Gary Polins, BYU's coach, he comes to see you. He's recruiting you. And um, before he sees you, he sees your brother Brent. And uh, he thinks... Brent is you. So how did that go? That was a great, great story. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll have two great BYU stories. So um, I'm the youngest of five in my family. Uh, I, I was just a natural athlete growing up. Yeah. Uh, my nickname at BYU was called the bowling pin because I had a narrow shoulders and a big backside, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your coach described it as a pear-shaped yeah, yeah. body. Wait, 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 pin, can, pear give, shape. Him the quote, give him the quote <laughs> from uh, Gary. 
Uh, yeah, I love Coach Paul. Oh, he's fabulous. A pear-shaped body who was already losing his hair. He didn't look like an athlete, but the story changed when we put a bat in his hand. So there you go. That's, that's, what, that's what Coach said. So Coach Pullen said that. Coach uh, Tuckett, who was arguably baseball was his sport, right? Yeah. He came out uh, in the fall ball that in 1980. In 1980, he came out to watch the new recruits. And he was interested to see this young kid from Georgia. And he said he took one look at me and said, this isn't going to work. And then after my junior year, he came up to me and he said, Wally, of all the parents and all the moms that said that their son was going to be a winner, your mom was the one that told the truth. So it was a great, oh, wow. it was a great, uh, very great um, compliment that uh, he gave me. So, so does so does Brent think he's getting a scholarship right about now? Well, so I'm the youngest. <laughs> My brother Brent was uh, a year older than me, so yeah. he was preparing to go on a mission. And just picture the uh, uh, the movie Vacation. Right. So we're in Georgia. We have a station wagon, and we put a U-Haul on it, and off we go to BYU. Which could have been Wally World. It could have been, that was right? the movie. Right. And, That's uh, right. Wally World was in the movie. So, so we get to uh, Colorado somewhere, and my mom says, you know what we're going to do? Uh, we're going to go right to the BYU baseball office, and we're going to meet Coach Pullins. And I'm in the back going, why don't we just go to the dorms, right? I, I have time to meet Coach Pullins. I wasn't interested. Yeah. And so my mom wins. So we get to, and we pull up into the uh, Smithfield house, and we illegally park, I'm sure, right? And we walk into the baseball office, and my mom goes, uh, is Coach Pullins here? And the secretary, no, he's still teaching. And I'm like, Phew. And I turn around, and my mom says, well, where is he teaching? Right? We're oh, going to go wow. We're gonna go find yeah, him. Right? Mom is persistent. We didn't, we didn't drive past the giant ball of yarn <laughs> yeah. like in the movie For nothing. to get to this. So they said, well, he's actually on the second floor of the Richards building right across the, the quad. And, in fact, he'll, his Class will be over in 10 minutes, so off we go, right? So it's mm -hmm. my mom and dad, then my brother, and then I, and I'm dragging, and I'm going up the stairs, and as I'm going up the stairs, the bell sounds, and out comes all the students. Yeah. And I'm eluding the students, and I know what Coach Pullins looks like, and my mom knows, but he doesn't know anything about us. So my mom sees Coach Pullins come out of the – Coach Pull. I mean, just yells, Coach Pullins, we're here. And he's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> We're the joiners. And so all of a sudden I see his face and he's like, oh, I get to see this guy that we gave a full scholarship to. Right. Mm -hmm. So he comes over, shakes my mom's hand, shakes my dad's hand. And as he's doing so, he focuses right on my brother, who was a football player, track star. And he was narrow waist, big shoulders. Right. Okay. So he looks right at him and he comes over and he shakes his hand. and He says, Wally. You look great. Great to have you here. And this big smile's on his face. And he says, you know what? Take your time this week and come out to practice next Monday, right? And my brother's like, coach, coach. And finally he goes, what? He goes, I'm not Wally. I'm his brother. And he goes, well, where's Wally? And it was like the parting of the sea, right? He turns and he points to me and I'm sitting there. And the smile goes away from his face and the forced handshake comes out. True story. And he shakes my hand, and the only thing he says is, Wally, practice starts at 3 tomorrow. Don't be late. Wow, and that off changed. We go. And it was, and, and we laugh about it all the time. How, how long did it take for him to recognize you? Because he says that. He put a bat in Wally's hand, and everything changed. How long do you think it took for him to go, wow, this dude's hand-eye and his stroke is ridiculous. He's going to be He's going to be just fine. I'll, I'll answer it this way. So we talked about Rick Aguilera. Mm -hmm. right? So I was... 
the Georgia High School Player of the Year coming to BYU. Rick Aguilera was all CIF, Southern mm-hmm. California. California. I was recruited as a pitcher first baseman. And Rick Aguilera was recruited as a shortstop pitcher. So we have fall ball. Coach Knowles is a pitching coach. And I get my two shots at pitching. And I'm running off the field like I did a good job. And he puts his arm around me. And he said, son, I think we're going to try you at first base. Right? Mm -hmm. So that was just the political way of saying you can't pitch. Right? So Rick Aguilera (laughs) has his two games at shortstop. And he has, you know, he's been pitching. And Coach Pullins puts his arm around him and says, son, we're going to try you as a pitcher, and you're not going to play short. Yeah. I play 16 years in the big leagues as a first baseman. He plays 16 years, over 300 saves as a reliever. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, they knew, they knew where you belong, hey, which is Blue which is Cougar, awesome. Blue Cougar 73 on the live stream. I grew up in Southern California. I loved watching Wally Joyner play at Angel Stadium when I was in high school. Good to have Blue Cougar 73 on the live stream. Folks all over the world listening to our interview tonight. It's so good to have you here. Um, Of the 43 home runs you hit at BYU between 1981 and 1983, one of them, according to Duff Tittle from BYU Sports Information, landed on top of May Hall. Uh, that's the, furth- the, that's the furthest one up tell in Helaman Halls, up by the road. Yeah, tell us about that home run. Well, I don't remember that as much as I remember playing in Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, which was a little bit more elevated. Right. And I, unbeknownst to me, um, there were some scouts starting to scout, and there was a gentleman by the name of Joe Madden who... The Joe Madden who won the world championship for the Cubs? He Joe was Madden? scouting for the Angels at the time. Oh, wow. This is in 1982 or 83. And he was at that game, and I hit a home run, and he walked it off, and he swears it was the, it was a bomb, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what got his attention. <laughs> and he actually scouted me, drafted me, signed me, and we're great friends. No to kidding. Day. Yeah, that's awesome. I, How about honestly, that? and and I had the great privilege of being able to go and watch watch these guys. Watching he and Corey hit was like, who's going to hit one further out of this place? <laughs> like when when the ball is struck. And and nobody moves on on the defense. Like when the outfielder just goes, that doesn't even move. It's like that's so far gone. He's not even going to make a move toward the fence. And 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 you and Corey were hitting those all the time. So I tell people I had about a handful of those, and Corey had a handful of just missing them and hitting. Every one that he hit was up on the Marriott Center steps. Yeah, he hit one. I I remember I was at a game when he hit it onto the. Oh, oh, remember, out of the ballpark, across the street, and onto the steps of the Marriott Center. On the fly. And, and, of course, Wally's hitting him over to right center um, and, and knocking him into the complex at so Helaman Hall. So Duff said you hit it on top of May Hall. And, I believe that. And that's down past Helaman Hall. That's up on the very, very top. Like you got to get in the jet stream to get down I there. did. It was, there was, it's like a five-minute drive. Uh, I will tell you, that, do, you guys remember, do you guys know the story of Corey Snyder starting at BYU? No. His first game. Uh-huh. So I'm a, junior, I'm a sophomore. And Corey is a, a freshman, and, and we room together. So it's our first road trip. We go to UNLV, and we have, uh, we're have we going to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So uh, our first game on Thursday, he hits four home runs. Oh, my goodness. Four for four. With At UNLV's four, ball field? Four for four with four home runs. It's <laughs> pretty good. Here we go. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was, what a Cam- first impression, it was right? Camelot, and baseball was part of that <laughs> yes. during that time. It was a great time for BYU sports. So but, fun. Before Blaine hits you up with our five questions that we – pepper every guest with uh, baseball team at BYU's starting the big 12 first year coming up we've seen the schedule out uh, it's a different brand of baseball what what challenge lies ahead for the Cougars and how do they 
how do they make up for lost time, meaning 20, 30 years, which is what the football fans are wondering about the football team to catch up? I would imagine it's going to be the same thing. Um, it's hard to um, practice or apply what you're going to face until you face it. Yeah, uh, It's been a struggle at times for the BYU football team. It'll be a struggle for the BYU baseball team. Uh, I would say it's like a me being a rookie playing in my first year in the big leagues. I had my good games, my struggles. Yeah. I got educated quickly. And then I knew what to expect after my first year. At what point did you go up to the batter's box and the guy's going to throw you a hundred mile an hour fastball and you're just okay with that? It's like, I hope he throws me a hundred mile an hour fastball because I'm going to knock it out of the park as opposed to, I don't even want to go up there. The guy's throwing heat. Do well, you ever get, does that ever get common? There was one pitcher that never changed that I never wanted to face. And that was Randy Johnson. Right. Oh yeah. Did he feel like he was just on top of you as big as he was? He threw behind me. I, you'd lose the ball. (laughs) And, uh, my story with him is I probably faced him 40, 50 times. He struck me out at least half of those. Really? I was the first lefty to hit a home run against him and I call it even. There you go. We did okay. So was but, he was he the toughest you've ever faced, oh, by Randy? Far. By far. By far. So when you hit that home run and you looked at him as you're running, I didn't look the at bases, him. No, I knew the next time you? he was going to throw it up up and in on me, and that happened. <laughs> oh, it did. But it but it was part of the part of the uh, reward of of being that. It's almost like you want to apologize. So so, yeah. so I'll tell you. Um, I, I talk about the aha moment. Yeah. Right. So I was in double A, triple A, uh, went to winter ball all very successful, but it still wasn't the big leagues. So in 1986, um, at the end of spring training, the Angels and the Dodgers play each other in their home stadiums. So it's not spring training. It's a big league ballpark Mm -hmm. in a big league stadium in a big league city. So it was was a Sunday day game, and uh, Jerry Royce was pitching for the Dodgers. Very accomplished, very mm-hmm. successful left-hander yeah. who was getting his last start in to start the season, so he wanted to pitch well. And I get the start against him because they were going to sit and um, let Rod Carew have the day off because he was going to he was the first baseman and I was going to be sent down. So my first at bat, uh, 30,000 people in the stands, and he hangs a slider and I hit it over the fence and I'm running around. And I between first and second, the only thing I could think of was, I can do this. I yeah. just did it. That was the moment. It was all the boxes were checked. It yeah. was a big league pitcher. It was a left-handed pitcher. Right. It, it was in a big league stadium. And that was my go-to when I started struggling. No, I, I've done this. I can yeah. do it again. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. I'm going to go through my entire earth life without that experience. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. You got yours. That's got fantastic. My- all right, Blaine, you ready to roll them out? Yeah, let's give you your five questions, Wally. So, your favorite sports movie? Uh, the Natural. There's the shock. Is that the best baseball movie ever? Yes, sir. There you go. What who, about the Bad has, News Bears? Did I you appreciate the Bad News Bears? Bears. We've, had, uh, we've had other people pick The Natural, though. Yeah. So. And, and Michael Rucker was on with us. What did he pick? I thought it was another remember. baseball Michael movie. Michael Rucker um, talked to us about the his one of his first games was in Yankee Stadium and uh, Aaron Judge uh, came up to bat. That was the first batter he faced, and oh. the bases were loaded. Oh. 
in the in the ninth, like in the ninth, and 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 he's like, yeah, that wasn't a big deal, not a big deal at all. Like, hey, when you see Aaron Judge hitting home runs like they're softballs, <laughs> and you know how hard it is to hit a home run, what what do you think? Um, he's re- he's really lucky. He's got the talent. He's got the size. He's, he's got the ballpark. Yeah. yeah, he's a monster. He's a monster. He's a, a human, monster. Human being. He and Stanton. Yeah, but Stanton can't stay healthy. It was I, I, it, what I love the most about Judge is he's a nice guy. He's a too. great guy. You would love Michael's yeah. story because he said the last thing the coach said to him is says whatever you don't get it up on him like he will he will mash it out of here, and then Michael's talking to himself as he's walking on the mound and he's like, well he knows I'm not gonna get it. It was like the great Vicini and he's like he knows I'm not gonna get it up. The first thing I should do is I should throw a hundred up. Yeah, because he will never expect me to throw it a hundred up. And and he's like no, but the coach said not to throw like and so he's going back and forth in his own mind. He throws a hundred mile an hour fastball up and strike. Yeah. So that was fun. That was a fun story for yeah. for Michael. Well, if I was there, if I if I was his coach and I knew he could throw a hundred. Yeah. Right. Like, just go after. Go ahead and throw it. Right. So okay. So favorite sports movie is natural. Awesome. Favorite singer or band? Oh wow. Um, By the way, ACDC right there. Garth Brooks. Garth. All right. Garth Brooks. My favorite Garth Brooks song is great. It's Here's Your Mom. So like, Garth Brooks, good. really quick, he uh, he retired. Do you remember this? Yeah, and he tried out for the Padres. I was on the team. Were you on the team when he did that? <laughs> so Bruce Bochy, so we had him play in an A game, a ball, in, in a one o'clock game. And he had, I, before you go, I also, I was a sportscaster in Vegas, and he came and played at Cashman Field in an exhibition game, yeah. right? Okay, now go in. So we're, he, so the first day he comes in, and for some reason, Unfortunately for Garth, they put him with me. I'm, I'm supposed to show him the rope, so I oh. we took care of him. We yeah. hazed him and every, everything. <laughs> right? So we became really good friends, and then um, he came to a uh, an A game, a one o'clock game in spring training. Those are the A games where the big leaguers play. Yeah, and uh, I get a base hit in like the fourth inning, and it's time for me to. So here he comes pinch to pinch run for me, right? And I knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he comes running out, and I'm like, no, you're not pinch running for me, right? <laughs> so he stops, and he looks at Boach, and then he looks at me. So we're, we're, we're messing with him a little bit. So he comes out. We high-five. He comes, and, and he gets, gets to first base. And it's a left-handed pitcher on the mound. So he gets his lead, and he gets picked off. Oh, right? <laughs> yeah. But... But the umpire calls him safe. So Garth calls timeout and goes over and gives the umpire. The umpire. <laughs> so he's been a good person. Garth is awesome. Do you obvious. still keep in touch with I Garth? Do. Yeah. I what do. what a great human being and a tremendous performer. Yeah. Oh, so good. I interviewed him in Salt Lake a few years back, and he just was so nice and genuine. He, he didn't have to be, and he is, and he's admire that. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. But he did want to be a... Uh, I think he would have given up singing if he could have been a major league baseball. Player. I would have given up baseball if I could have been a singer too. So, <laughs> so um, guys are reminiscing here on, on the chat. Um, one says you were robbed of the American League um, uh, Rookie of the Year. Conseco got it that year. Yeah. Well, I tell robbed. people I was the uh, Natural Rookie of the Year in 1996. So absolutely I'm right. Good with that. Um, and then and then uh, uh, Michael Zimmerman saying, "Hey, in '82 or '83, went to BYU baseball game." And in this inning, the catcher was first up to bat and hit a home run. BYU batted around, and the bases were loaded, and the catcher hit a grand slam. That was Steve Eager. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. That Steve was Steve. Eager. He was Steve a, broad, you know, a broadcaster. broadcaster was Texas. down at Fox in Texas. Yeah, for, yeah Steve was a good player. Yeah, good very good that player. team was so loaded. Here's another comment. Obviously a heck of a hitter, but nobody smoother around the one bag than Wally World. 
do-it-all player. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah, fun stuff. Okay, so back to the favorite breakfast cereal. This is an important one. Oh, Frosted Flakes. Fantastic. I had those this With morning. bananas. So here's the funny thing. That's Dave had level. Frosted oh, yeah. Flakes this morning. <laughs> yeah. I had them right before I came up to the show. <laughs> See, that's See? the breakfast. So we, 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 just, the we, we recorded champions. AFR. I had a call. I'm like, I got to eat something. I had Frosted Flakes yeah. before I came up. My that wife my... got a giant new box today. I was just like, yep. you know, you're the best. Yeah, that was my staple every morning in spring training. There you go. I Frosted love it. Frosted Flakes. Here we go. Ready to go. It, it's that high-performance food is what that is. Okay, your favorite ballpark to hit a home run in? Yankee Stadium. Why? Is it, is it it's just configured that way? Yeah. Or is it just because it's, it is. Stadium. Yeah. Did you bomb it to right field? Was that a short porch? Did you go really yeah. all the Second, way up? And that, that was even better. Upper yeah. deck in right center. Yeah. Well, in right field. Oh, straight, straight out to right. Because uh, straight out to right is where the upper deck stops. And then you have center field and the monuments and everything. So now you appreciate baseball history. So you're running the round in the bags at Yankee Stadium with a shot to the upper deck. What 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 do you what's that feel like? Incredible, right? Everybody, and that was old Yankee Stadium. So yeah, it was yeah. Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, all oh, of these guys, man. Joe DiMaggio doing the same thing. Right? Did, did you like? Did you like Fenway? Love Fenway. Love Fenway. So, did you ever hit one over the monster? Even though that was the I opposite, opposite way. Field. I hit one over field? the monster. I hit one off of Bruce Hurst. Oh yeah, the playoffs. Nice. Off of my guy Bruce and over the uh, bullpens. That's so cool. yeah, yeah, I I. I and you know, I grew up. I grew up in times. New York, so I'm supposed to be a Yankees <laughs> fan. But one of my buddies was the play-by-play voice of the Red Sox for a number of years. He's at the Dodgers now, Tim Neverett. Mm-hmm. But um, so he hosted us, and I kind of fell in love with Fenway. I have to admit it. Oh, like, like I shouldn't do that as a New Yorker, but that park. Oh, it's just iconic. Yeah, it's so it's so incredible. And it's, Neil Diamond singing yeah. in seventh inning. Yeah, just, it's, it's it's crazy. It's cool. So. Wrigley's better, but I I get it. Yeah, and he's Wrigley's good. He's all about the Cubs. I even admit that Fenway's good, and I'm a Yankee. How many home runs did you hit at Wrigley? Um, well, I was going to tell you um, after ten years in the American League, right? We but they didn't do crossovers back then, no, did they? I I I signed with the Padres, yeah. and I hit my first home run, my first game in Chicago, and they have the ball. They held the ball for me. Did it go on to Waveland or it, it went over this? Yeah, it went yeah. over into the right street, field. and uh, they. They wrote on the wall, congratulations, your first major league home run. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's major league. <laughs> and, and, and Harry Carey was the announcer. Oh, yeah. oh that's oh, awesome. Oh, my so goodness. Good. That's like great. All right. And then the last one, favorite advice from your wife, Leslie? Favorite advice. Um, wow. I got a lot. Um, I would say that she was probably an integral part to my success because I was able to leave the game and, and when I – Walked into the house. It was family and kids, and here I need some. I need some time. Here's your two daughters at the time, right? And yeah. uh, it was great. It was really good. She saved your life by making you walk from the bed to the she did bathroom. She did. She's got that going for yeah. her right there. <laughs> Thank goodness yeah. she wasn't. Uh, one of the uh, the owners were saying, "Hey." We they just need you to play tonight. They 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 wanted me to be at first base. <laughs> and of the two night. of the two athletes, Wally and her, she's won the most recent championship. Yeah, that's true. As that's as true. club champ at Riverside, Wally, we just uh, we just love that you're here and and um, and we enjoy being your friend. And uh, what a great career! This has been great. And and you still have so much life left. Uh, but look at look at all that the games taught you. I mean, it's a reservoir of ups and downs and. And, uh, and and there's a remedy back in your baseball pass for just about anything, isn't there? It is. It's um, it's really a a um, 
a game about life yeah. and how to handle it. Um, for the most part, how to handle failure more than anything, because um, that's what we deal with, especially in the big leagues. You you try to hit 300 and you're failing 70% of the time, right? So, right. So many great players, they, they struggled with that, and it probably got them out of the game because they couldn't handle that. And and I would I tell people all the time, you know, there was either one or two or three times a year in my 16 years that I would get in the car after a ball game, drive home, and say, well, you can't play this game anymore. What are you going to do, right? So it was a constant up and down and fight. And um, I think more than anything, it was just – do your best, whatever it was. And um, it worked out. Good for you. Good Great for you, stuff. good for us, and good for everyone who had a chance to, to watch you play. And, and, uh, and, and thank you to, for coming tonight and sharing your stories. Well, thank you, wise guys. I loved it. Thank Great. you very much. And we'll see it. you this when you treat. get back from uh, Paradise. I go to Paradise and, uh, in a week. Oh, play a man. lot of golf and, and have a great time with your family. Thank you, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank great. you. Thanks, Wally. Wally Joyner, one of the greats in BYU history, part of that run of tremendous athletes and great stories. And uh, we appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Uh, man, that was great. That was one of my favorite yeah, interviews. Yeah, when, when, whenever I see Wally, you know, even if just over the country club, it, it just does take me back. It takes me back to when we were in school together and, and the camaraderie among athletes in all sports. We we tease we do we do call it we call it Cam a lot because yeah. it just seemed like everything was going right, and remember we had Dallin Oaks as the president early, and then Jeffrey R. Holland was the president of the university. Glenn Tuckett is the athletic director during that time. It was a magical magical time uh, to be at BYU and to be around athletes like Wally and like Danny Ainge who's been on the show and and every sport and Steve Young who we've had on the show. Every sport during that time was one of the dominant programs in, in the country. How about how about we just sat next to you just sat next to a guy who had hit a, a home run at Wrigley Field at Yankee Stadium. It's an all star upper decker upper deck at Yankee Stadium. How about that? And uh, yeah, it's just that was cool. That was yeah, cool. That was really fun. Everybody, we need you know what we need to get Corey one of these times. I, I've you know, yeah. that reminded me that we need to get Corey Snyder to come in and, and visit with us, too. Let's run over some campus notes as we head down the stretch here on Wise Guys. Uh, as far as BYU baseball goes, and we heard Wally talking about it, uh, the schedule's out. The home opener is February 29th. Let's hope there's not three feet of snow on the yeah, ground. Yeah, there you go. The Big 12 openers at West That's, Virginia. That field is heated, though. Yeah, but, you they, know. They can melt the, the snow water's got to go somewhere. Yeah, it's, yeah we'll see. <laughs> March 7th through the 9th, the home opener at West Virginia. The Big 12 home openers, Houston, March 14th through the 16th. And we're going to have so many of those games on ESPN+. Plus. Look forward yeah, to calling the Cougars. Ph a phenomenal baseball league, just like it is a phenomenal um, uh, basketball league. Now, like you, we talked about. you were talking about Camelot in this time, uh, and I, I remember being a part of it as a kid. But it's hard to find a time on campus where the sports have been more successful than what we've got right now. Last year was like, no, that's off the charts. This year they're back off the charts. D Dave, this this loss to Iowa State last Saturday night, that's the first home loss in any sport for BYU since they joined the Big 12. The first home loss in any sport. That's amazing. It's amazing. It. Yeah. Um, and so... This is a unique time. And most every year now, is, this is Camelot. The difference is we saw all those players and what they became. Guys like Wally Joyner became heroes. These current players doing stuff, they're still building 
their hero-like status, and especially on this soccer team, which is so senior-laden, and they're in the big time now. Oh, yeah. Uh, women's soccer in, in the NCAA tournament, they defeated Utah State, so a little bit of uh, revenge there. Yeah. 2-0, and Utah State... What is it the Spencer Linton tells us? They, the way they play, they call it parking the bus. Yeah, they score, and then they and park the bus. they just the bus. park the bus in front of the net. So everybody just goes back and defends, and they just don't let you score. And that's how they beat BYU one yeah. to nothing. And so it's it's so difficult. So two points against Utah State is a pretty big deal. Goals by Kendall Peterson, Olivia Wade, Katoa in that one. So now it's on to the next round. Um, that's a game that I will be at on Thursday night. Are you going to go? Way. Yeah, we're going. Number eight seed USC is in town to play number one seed BYU. That's Thursday at 7 p.m. That'll be on ESPN Plus from Southfield. 17-2-3 in their first yeah, year. Amazing. And they're still winning. And they have a chance. If they keep winning, they'll have <sighs> Thursday and then two more home games before they yeah, go to the Final Four. When you're a number one seed, you're home, you host... All the way to the to the college cup uh, to the to the cup, which is the is the final four. Now that's awesome. Boy, look at this men's basketball. They're two and zero to begin. They upset seventeenth ranked San Diego State Friday night in a game you and I called seventy four sixty five. Dallin Hall had eighteen points, sixteen in the second half. Richie Saunders was big with twelve points, six for six shooting free throws. And more importantly, BYU out rebounded San Diego State forty two to thirty two. The Cougars were more physical than the Aztecs, which surprised all of us. But what did you learn about this BYU team? It, I was wondering, is this going to be a team that has enough toughness and enough physicality? Is, is that a word? Is physicality a it word? It is tonight. Yeah. So to compete in this league, in the Big 12, be, because it's such a physical league, they have bigs that like to, to pound, and it's a big-time rebounding league. And, and so that was my question. And now here through an exhibition in two games, San Diego State is known for being a physical team. Now, they don't have quite the scores right now that they had last year in a team that played in the national championship game. Right. But this is a long, athletic, physical team. You and I were talking to Dutch, um, San Diego State's head coach, and you, you said to him, Dutch, do you just go get a bunch? Like, how do you get a bunch of six nine athletic dudes every year? It's like you just clone these dudes. They just and, do. And when you watch them warm up, you're like, yep, here you go. This is San Diego State. They got a bunch of 6'9 athletic team. dudes, number 17 in the country. BYU showed me some toughness in that game that surprised me. Yeah. They they were physical. They got after the glass. They got after the offensive glass. When San Diego State extended their defense out halfway between the top of the key and midcourt, which usually really throws people off their game, Dallin Hall would turn the corner, lower his shoulder, and just go. They didn't back off from that pressure. They attacked the pressure. I, I thought, okay, these guys might be better in this league than I thought. I, I thought it would take a couple years to get physical enough. Um, I'll tell you, Noah Waterman, like he's a like he's a revelation this year with how physical he's playing and mm-hmm. going to the offensive glass. And that's a six eleven dude that last year just kind of stayed outside and shot threes and. Like he's a changed guy. He's really going to help BYU this year. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of record they're going to have in this league, but I feel way better about them competing in this league the way they looked the other night I against do San Diego State. I, I do too. We're, I was very, very pleasantly surprised by that game. The other we're day. going to see them tomorrow night in their encore. They're going to play Southeastern Louisiana, seven o'clock Mountain Time. You and I are on the call on yep. ESPN Plus, and then Saturday night, Morgan State is in Provo, seven o'clock. 
Mountain Time. You, you and ESPN I get a, a 16 hour day on Saturday. It's like a double header day. Spencer will have crew, a long day crew with call us as well. at 6 a.m. Saturday morning for Dave and I. Spencer's and, working right now. Yeah, uh, Spencer's going to be like going crazy. The women's basketball game. Uh, the Cougars are 2 and 0. And off to a great start, Utah Valley's in Provo tonight. Saturday, BYU's against Wake Forest. That'll be a big test for them. Yes. But they're in the North Shore Showcase over in Laie, Hawaii, so we do not feel bad for nope. no matter what there's, happens. There's no feeling bad for them. Lauren Gustin, 24 points and 12 boards, so she just picks up right where she left off in that in that Weaver State game, and Kaylee Wilson was 16. Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking fine. There's plenty of talent. That's just a really young team, right? So yep, we'll see how they get good. They're going to get good. Women's volleyball is 22-5 and five right now, 11-4, 12-0 at home. So that's part of that big home. They're thirteenth in the country. They were twelfth, and they went and beat Central Florida twice and dropped a spot. Yeah, that doesn't make how any does sense. that happen? But no. anyhow, it happened. Uh, big Twelve standings right now. Texas is number one at fourteen and one. BYU is eleven and four. They're number two. Kansas is number three at ten and four. So there, there you have the Big Twelve standings. And that's a big one. Friday night, Kansas is here, right at uh, the Smith Fieldhouse, seven o'clock on ESPN Plus with Jerem Jordan. Amy Gant and Kenzie Dolly. That's a big one. Uh, you can almost lock up. Be, yeah, you know, you, similar, but, you but that's a, home, a big you one. You get a home sweep. That's that pretty much puts and you. There's no tournament. There's no conference tournament for women's volleyball. So, what you do here is where you get seated. Right. In the NCAA. It's the seating for NCAA tournament. How about cross country? The NCAA Mountain Regional in Lubbock, Texas. Um, the number three nationally ranked BYU men's team finished second at regionals. Um, the number three BYU women uh, finished second. At regionals. And they didn't even run everybody because this week this is, is just the to qualify for the NCAA. So right? last week was the regionals, and there's only a week in between. Right. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to take this. Just be strategic. You know? yeah. So now they're going full bore Saturday in Earliesville, Pennsylvania yeah. on ESPNU yep. at 9 10 a.m. That'll be right in the middle of game day. So we'll try to give you updates from the NCAA championships. And BYU's got a shot. Northern Arizona's Always tough. good. Every year. Uh, and then Oklahoma State is tough yep. on the men's side with Northern Arizona. But, hey, it, it all comes down to Saturday. It, it, to, to win this thing, somebody's going to have to just be a little bit – they're good enough that they're right there. And so a couple folks are going to have to just be a little bit better than they've been for them to win a national championship. And how would that be if both the men and the women won a national championship? First year in the Big 12. That would be awesome. I mean, somebody, either the team or, or the individual, seems to win the national championship every year yeah. from BYU. It's, it's, it's one of the top programs in the country and continues to be. Hey, how about congratulations to my old teammate and our good friend Tom Homo. He received the John L. Toner Award, recognizing his athletic directors who have demonstrated superior administrative abilities and show outstanding dedication to college athletics and particularly to football. So he's going to be honored on December 5th in Las Vegas at the National Football Foundation Annual Awards Dinner. Uh, we had an awesome interview with Tom a few months ago back on The Wise Guys. Uh, you can go back and watch that anytime. Go, go on to wiseguys.com, find, th- find the Tom Homo interview. Who gets Tom for 45 We only had him for almost an hour. Yeah, it felt like, yeah. I think and we, we talked about all things Big 12, and we also reminisced with him about Niners Days. Make sure you go back and listen to that. But congratulations to our buddy Tom on that, that fantastic award, the John L. Toner Award. Next week, Mark Ogletree, BYU professor, is going to be with us. Scott Warner from GIG. And Libby Lloyd, still yes. on track for Libby to come. Yeah, she's going to come. come in and sing some I told songs. her to pick out a song for us. That she and I, we'll just do a duet, Libby and I will. I'll bring the guitar. DJ will help us get mic'd up so we can have three mics over here. And um, Look forward to I, that. I'm not going to announce the song yet because we haven't decided on it November yet. November 28th, Brad Robbins from Gentry. 
It's like uh, we got a it's couple. Of, we got a couple of musical weeks. We got singers coming, up. coming in. Doug Wilkes is going to be with us as we move to Mondays on December fourth. He's the editor of the Deseret News, and we're going to have a fascinating conversation yes. with yep. him. And so, other guests to be announced for those those two weeks as well. So, pretty fun. Um, we're going to do it on this day. Let's do it. Let's okay. roll it out. November fourteenth, big day in history. In eighteen fifty one, Herman Melville's Moby Dick is published in the United States. Eighteen eighty eight, USC plays its first football game. 1888. BYU didn't start till 1922. Trojans right. played today. Yep. And they're a national program. But they're not so good this year. No. So 1922. Um, the British broad... So BBC uh, begins daily radio broadcast. 1922. Hmm. 1968. Yale announces it's going co-ed. Can you believe that? <laughs> let's, 1968. Let's, bring in, let's mix it up. Yep. 1970. The Marshall football team, that's on November 14th, 1970, killed in a plane crash in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you haven't seen that movie, We Are Marshall, oh, man. Um, it was released in 2006 about how Coach uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey plays um, plays the head coach, uh, Jack Lang- Langill. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. Um, how he set out to rebuild the program, uh, We Are Marshall, after that uh, that terrible crash back in 1970 on this day. 1993 on this day, Don Shula... Becomes the winningest coach in NFL history with 347 wins. George Hallis is next with 318 because Shula went on to win a few more. Bill Belichick has 300 and Andy Reid is at 254. And uh, the Chiefs have a huge game against the Eagles Monday night. Yeah, that's a big one. The Eagles with all that offense and the Chiefs with all that offense. That'll be a fun one. Hey, how about 2016? On November 14th, the Disney film Moana premieres in Los Angeles. <laughs> Our world will never be the same. So, and remember, Moana, who wrote all who wrote all the music for that? Uh, Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. Yeah, the Hamilton right. guy. Yeah. And the Rock sang. Yeah, who knew the, the Rock, Rock could sing? The Rock was great in this. I saw him singing I've on Jimmy Fallon standing, the other night. Staring at the water. Yep, that's the one. Birthdays on and, November. Is it 14? a show if I don't sing some line from some? Yeah, movie something. Okay. You get it in there. King Charles the Third, the new King of England, was born. Today, 1948. And then how about 1954? Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, Dean at Stanford University, and the one that convinced my son-in-law, Dallas, to go to Stanford University. She was the greatest recruiting tool they had back in those days. The Wise Guys inspirational quote of the week is from President M. Russell Ballard, who passed away Sunday night. He was a wonderful man, also the visionary behind BYU TV and the impact it could have on the world worked hard to make it a reality. He was 95, serving as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at his passing, and he has our inspirational quote of the week. So Elder Ballard said, It may not always be easy, convenient, or politically correct to stand for truth and right, but it's the right thing to do, always. Indeed it is. He will be uh, laid to rest this Friday. Um, the services are up at uh, Temple Square. Our big announcement, December 4th, we're going to Monday night, and we've been talking about it for a little while. We just want to give you a heads up. 6 p.m. Monday night, December 4th, that's the new home of the wise guys, henceforth. So we uh, will appreciate you adjusting your lives. If you miss us on Tuesday nights, just watch the basketball games because we're calling most of the yeah, home games. You'll see so. us Tuesday, and then the podcast will be out a day early too. So yeah. so we'll be we'll still be everywhere. Um, but the the live stream will be on Monday night, and we want you all to be there with us because we have a good time. If you miss us, we love when you, if you, you miss say us, where you watch us tomorrow night, right? Yeah, watch us so anytime. T- tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night, BYU at Southwestern or Southeastern Louisiana, seven o'clock on ESPN Plus, uh, and then we'll see you Saturday morning for 
uh, game day. Hey, and by the way, that ESPN Plus package, um, I was talking to my wife, these basketball games, like if you don't get to see an ESPN Plus package, it's going to be hard to see the basketball team because a lot of games are on ESPN Plus. They're not on BYU TV. I think it was less than $10 a month, and you can cancel any time. So, so Brenda bought the package, and she's just like, hey, we don't really watch it that much, but you can watch everything, like all of BYU sports, um, including the basketball team. And she says, hey, when we get to March and basketball's over, we'll just cancel it. So, hey, hey, baseball's on there. That's right. So just, just, just 10 bucks a month is not much to watch all of BYU sports. And you can watch it over and over again. Like yeah. the BYU TV used to be able to do, you should just be able to go on there and watch yep. it over and over again. You can do that on ESPN+. Plus. Ruthie, uh, thank you for a plug for... My new book, which is available at Deseret Book, DeseretBook.com, and just about Amazon and everywhere else. A perfect gift for kids for Christmas and adults. C is for Cougar. That's been a lot of fun uh, seeing reaction from folks. So that's out there. It's like it's fourteen ninety nine, which is a great stocking stuffer. Um, and so uh, look for that. Another article out today in the Deseret News on the numbers leading into Saturday as we yeah. go full circle because we open the show with football. And um, it, uh, if you go by the numbers, uh, to quote that line from Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. But uh, the magic of college football is once you get two teams on the field, um, magic can happen sometimes and upsets happen. This would be a major upset if BYU can take down Oklahoma on Saturday. But they can if they do what we talked about earlier yeah, in the show. And, and I loved, uh, you know, and, and if you got on late, make sure you go back and listen to Max Hall, who was yeah. on early in the show. And Max talked about a, a mindset that they have to have, um, and, and they've got to be dialed in and trust their teammates and go in with the idea that they go shock the world and have fun in this game. Play loose, but play assignment sound. And crazier things have happened. BYU's due for a big upset. Like a Wisconsin on the road, like upset, an Oklahoma at home, like upset. They're due. A Miami upset. Yes. A Notre Dame upset. A Penn State upset. A USC upset. They've done it before. They've done it before when they were huge underdogs. There's no reason they can't again this week. We'll see you bright and early Saturday morning at eight Mountain Time for game day. Two hours of coverage outside Lavelle Edwards Stadium and then inside Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and then the post game show and then the basketball game That's that right. night. So there's a lot of us. There's yeah. a lot of us coming, so brace yourself. Yeah, we're, hey, th thanks so much to Wally Joyner. So fun to have Wally on with us, and to Max for being our guests tonight. Yeah, this was a great show. Thanks to all of you for, for joining us, and hey, we'll see you tomorrow night on ESPN Plus for the basketball And game. the podcast is up tomorrow, and you can listen to it all over again at your own convenient time, and then look for clips on YouTube. We'll chop it up a little bit and get some stuff out there. Um, yeah, this has been one of our best shows. Yep, loved it. Blaine Fowler, Dave McCann, we're the wise guys. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week. See you tomorrow night.